and I'm here with the only other person I know who doesn't think it's too early to predict the Oscars. It's P.T. McNiff. How goes it, P.T.? It goes well, Jen. It, you think, the audience might think you're joking, but we do have other people who host this show, and they were like, why would we do that? That seems like an episode that doesn't need to happen, but we're here to prove them wrong. We're going to make it happen anyway. <laughs> yes. So uh, in case you're not, you know, listening to us because we are keeping track of the state of the Oscars race for you, even this early in the year. We are on the precipice of fall film festival season, which if you are, you know, not plugged into the Oscar race and kind of like the goings on of the film industry, basically there's just a slew, which we're going to talk about today a little bit, a slew of film festivals that are going to be boom, boom, boom happening over the next couple of months. And this is really typically when the Oscar race solidifies in that like meant much can change between now and the spring but this is sort of when front runners start to emerge uh and big big films highly anticipated films either flop or make a splash and kind of like and then we have a better set so so we <laughs> but we for some reason thought this would be really fun to before all that happens before all those clues come in <laughs> to make grossly uninformed predictions about who could get nominated. So we, you know, to, to sort of like make hilariously inaccurate predictions now, and then we can kind of compare our notes after we have all the, all the relevant information from the film festivals. Let's get ourselves on the record to, when we don't know what we're doing and, uh, and then see what, what it looks like in the reality of what people think about these movies and how they end up doing. Yeah. So it's, this is sort of a backdoor hype episode. I know we've done a couple of those in the past. It's been a little while though. Um, but yeah, this is this is really our for our kind of like Oscars temperature check, but it is still really early and the temperature check will be a lot more accurate. The thermometer will be a lot more accurate in about two months. <laughs> so we'll come back later with more accurate predictions. But yeah, and, and obviously we're going to also sort of sprinkle in our own likes for things that we've seen so far this year. Right. So because a lot of the things we're going to be talking about have already come out. A lot of it hasn't yet but a lot of it has so so yeah that's what we can you can expect from today's episode so really we're going to be nerding out about the year in film so far and sort of what's to come around the corner but first we're going to do a quick movie news check-in All right. So what's new in the movie world right now? I didn't do extensive research for this because I was too busy agonizing over researching what other people's Oscar predictions were <laughs> at the stage in the game to give you a little insight into what my, my brain has been like for the past week. The main things I know is that Barbie has joined the $1 billion club, mm -hmm. joined the ranks of what Titanic and Return of the King. The Avengers movies. Yeah, Endgame, right. Infinity War, Endgame. There's a bunch of like huge blockbuster films. The Force Awakens. Club. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Um, so, I, yeah, I think it hadn't... People were suspecting it might make it there, but I don't think last time we recorded it hadn't. Yeah. And then... It, it passed the Dark Knight for the most uh, successful Warner Brothers movie. It's oh, that's right. D oh. DC fans, uh, fanboys in shambles. The Barbenheimer beef continues. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Really? Just just with a different Christopher Nolan movie. Um, yeah, so that's exciting. And like, you know, I'm seeing all, I'm sure this is going to come up in some of our conversations about predictions later, but 
Barbie really and Greta Gerwig in particular keeps coming up as like a record breaker. Like that seems to be every day there's like a new headline that's like Greta Gerwig is the most profitable female director ever. Barbie is the most, you know, the most profitable movie to be directed by a woman. Like I, I feel like I see variations on that every day now. Yeah, I uh, I also haven't like dug too deep into the movie news, obviously, uh, and this was the next thing on your list, Jen. I don't mean to step on your toes. Um, the strikes continue. Uh, there's uh, no no real end in sight uh, on those. Uh, there there seems to every not every but like there seems to be a few days uh, every once in a while where it'll be like, oh, maybe they're getting closer, and then uh, it, it seems to be that is something that's leaked from the studio side to try to make them look reasonable. And then uh, it, it falls apart. So, uh, so there hasn't been a lot of uh, movement there, which by extension means that a lot of things are still sort of up in the air about, are, are they even going to still come out this year? Are they going to release you know, some of the movies we're going to be talking about uh, as, as, you know, unseen but but hopeful uh, Oscar contenders uh, may not come out this year and may get held for when uh, someone like uh, Zendaya can go and promote it, uh, as already happened with one of her movies. Another one of her movies might also be uh, held back if uh, if if it's if the strike is is still going on. So yeah, this may be premature for our conversation that we're about to have, but I I thought I was preparing myself for dunes not coming out this year and was like just i start, had already started the grieving process i devastated but then all the critics that i read and listen to on a regular basis had dune 2 in the mix for their discussion so like i was like i guess it's still happening and so i looked it up right now obviously a lot can change uh right now it's scheduled for november Mm-hmm. I think November 11th or something like that. It's it's early to mid-November. And, but as we'll talk about, this might be a good segue, it doesn't currently have a film festival premiere. Right. Like it did, like Dune Part 1 did. Dune Part 1 had a very splashy, was it Cannes or Venice? I can't remember now. I can't remember. It had a splashy year. Dune's not coming out this year. Hey, everyone. This is Greg from the future. When Jen asked me to be on this episode, I said, why bother? Dune's going to get delayed. And they didn't believe me. Now it's just painful to listen to Jen go on and on about whether or not Dune's coming out this year, because right after she and PT recorded this episode, Warner Brothers announced that Dune Part 2 would move to March 15th, 2024. That means, at least in terms of when I'm talking to you, it will not be eligible for the Oscars this year. Could the Oscars get bumped? Sure. And maybe then we'll need a third time period with a different voice coming on and correcting this episode. But for now, let's just say Dune is officially out of the Oscar contention. Now, you'll continue to hear... Jen and PT give lots of really thoughtful predictions, and I will continue to pop in and let you know which ones just aren't true anymore. Now, what this really does mean in terms of my analysis is that a lot of the technical categories have been burst wide open. 
it seems to me that now one of these historical epics is going to come in and sweep a lot of them. If nothing else comes out this year, as of my recording this on August 29th, I think that means Oppenheimer scores big time and still might be the one to lead. But if uh, Napoleon still comes out, if uh, Killers of the Flower Moon still comes out, I think you're going to see whichever one of those three gets really, really popular sweep a lot of these technical categories. And that could still mean a really good race. And I think it's very likely that these Apple uh, productions still come out because they have a lot more to gain throwing it on Apple TV Plus after a small theatrical run. They're not playing the same game that the uh, major studios are playing with the strikes. So, hey, we still all believe you should support your actors and writers. And that means that all of us movie fans are just going to have to be okay being a little more patient. And really, what's the worst that could happen? Denis Villeneuve makes a better movie? Absolutely. All right. Uh, listen to these idiots talk again. But yeah, I do. I, I, we do want to keep doing regular strike updates, you know, to close out the movie news check-in, I think, uh, be, you know, because if you haven't been listening to us recently, we do see what we do here on this podcast as criticism, which is distinct from promotion. And so for us, we feel like it's important to maintain critical discourse because, you know, these, these films and shows and everything are coming out no matter what. There's no stop it like, you know, other than the delays that we've been talking about, like there's there's going to be stuff coming out. Things are still happening just in a different way without actors, <laughs> without writers. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, we my philosophy that I've kind of arrived at recently is that the absence of criticism. Is the equivalent of promotion, right? If we're, if no one's here to kind of keep a critical and balanced perspective, then things that are coming out really only have promotion from the studios kind of as voices out there. So we want to keep updating, spotlighting the strike. And that's kind of how we're sort of showing our solidarity um, with, with, with the cause. Uh, But the only concrete thing I've actually heard is that the WGA resume talks with the studios and that the only thing that they've really made any traction on, and this is very minuscule traction is that they are now starting to talk about minimums for writers' rooms. So, like, mm-hmm. how many writers could be hired in a writers' room? Because one of the issues I think was that oftentimes series had too few writers, and it's kind of like torpedoing the industry in terms of like writers can't mentor each other, and like it's also just over being overworked and undercompensated. And so, there's a lot of issues there. But that's the one thing I've kind of heard that's a concrete like talking point that's come up <laughs> recently. Yeah. The so. other thing that I had heard, which is uh, somewhat outside of the actual negotiations of the strike, but still uh, seems relevant. And is I saw a discussion of it being relevant to the negotiations is there was a court and uh, I don't know if it was a circuit court or an appeals court, uh, but a judge somewhere ruled that something created via an AI tool could not be copyrighted by the person who you know inputted something into that tool. And it's basically like a, a person needed to uh, have done the creation for copyright to take effect. And if it's done via an algorithm, a, a program, uh, then it's not eligible for copyright, which of course, uh, the movie studios do not want to make movies or TV shows that are not eligible for copyrights as seen by Disney continually lobbying to uh, extend copyright uh, protections and rules 
for forward uh, in time so they don't have to ever uh, let people just do whatever they want with Mickey Mouse. So uh, so that would be a, a radical shift and might severely undercut the studio's position of we want to be able to use AI to do a first draft uh, of a script because that might that might hurt their bottom line ultimately. So um, this may be because I'm hearing it from uh, outlets and and people and sort of uh, discussing uh, people doing the discussions uh, who lean more in support of the actors and the writers um, because that's my bias uh, about it. Uh, and so, uh, but that they are saying, oh, this is actually really good for us and our position. This will uh, reinforces and helps advance our goals about the rules around AI. Well said. Yeah. So the things are happening maybe at a glacial pace, but yeah. there's at least compared to last time we talked about this, something to talk about yes. <laughs> as opposed to nothing's happening. So there's that. Yeah. Least. I, I, and I, I will say that, you know, I, I am worried uh, just for my own uh, enjoyment that Dune part two might get, uh, would be one of the movies that would get pushed back. It would. I do feel like that's a movie that's so spectacle based and also so director driven that you do want the actors. You want Timothy Chalamet, you want Zendaya, you want um, uh, uh, Butler. What's his first name? Aaron? Austin, uh, Austin, Austin Butler. Oh my God, I couldn't remember his name. Uh, he's Oscar a nominee Austin Butler, BT. Sure. Um, st- we don't know if he's still talking in the Elvis voice because he can't do appearances, but uh, but he, uh, yeah, we like they may they would be important. They would love to have them, uh, but that may not be as crucial as when I was looking up uh, again. We're sort of pushing immediately into our further discussion um, that one of the movies that is still on a bunch of prediction sort of mid year prediction lists uh, is uh, the Piano Lesson, which is based on the August Wilson play which uh is uh produced by denzel washington starring john david washington i think directed by another denzel son slash john david brother uh and then uh the a big push would be uh for samuel jackson to finally get an oscar in the supporting role that he plays uh but that's like presuming it's somewhat similar to fences uh, another august wilson production that's very actor heavy very actor focused so there's been no release date set to that and the assumption has been they're definitely there's no way they'll release that until they know for sure sam can go out and try the jamie lee curtis path of i'm gonna go talk to people i'm gonna be at all the events i'm gonna chit chat with everybody this is the time we're we're, we're making it happen with uh, samuel jackson so that will probably not make it this year uh it might not have done so anyway because i don't know where it is in production uh but uh you know even if it's if it's filmed and they could edit it and put it out they wouldn't do it now because they don't have the campaign push that mm-hmm. they, they they need for the award that they want to get for it. Uh, whereas the composer, the editor, the effects, the cinematographer, all that good stuff for Dune Part Two can still happen and still unfold even with the strikes. Nope. Now all I can think about is I'm ready for a Samuel L. Jackson Oscar campaign. That sounds yeah. amazing. But aren't you glad it's not against Robert Downey Jr.? Yes. Oh, that would just be that would be awkward on so many meta levels. Really? That would be really weird. Um, all right. So so yeah, as you can already tell from the way we're talking, we we keep going back to these film festivals. Is that 
I think the original assumption was that there might be slim pickings at these film festivals because I think a lot of pundits and critics originally assumed because of the strike, sort of the thing PT was talking about was like, well, you can't have your stars showing up to promote it. So do you just not do it? Is it worth it to still send the film? Most of these are still on, they're going ahead, right? They're because they have other crew members, cast people, directors, right? People who are not striking are still able to go. I've heard a lot of kind of like fishiness of like, which I think thankfully is largely airing, I think on the side of actors who are also directors not going. So like (laughs) a big thing was that Bradley Cooper who's the director of Maestro and also starring in Maestro. He is very, very verbally said he is not going to any of the festivals. So that like, so like, whereas a lot of people were like, Oh, can some people use a loophole where if they, if they are there as the director of something, but they also happen to be an actor, like, is that going to be okay? And it it sounds, it sounds like people are not going to be doing that, which is I think good. (laughs) That sounds right. Um, Yes. Yeah. Um, Okay. So I wanted to give a little bit of context to our listeners, right? Because my assumption here is that we're the go-between, right? If you're really into movies and you care what we're talking about, but you're not sort of like obsessively following news and and you know absorbing the critical discourse around new movies coming out and what's going to come out and who's doing what this year and who's what's going to get an Oscar, like all that stuff, we're here to kind of to to give you the kind of more digestible take (laughs) on on what's going on and so i just wanted to kind of run through a little bit of context for like what is fall film festival season because that's something that me automatically means a lot to me but doesn't necessarily mean a lot to someone listening to this so pt what what are your associations with fall quote-unquote fall film festival season I just want to say that I thought that what you were going to say, you you sort of hung on the F sound and you were like, I just want to, we want to do a short version of where things are right now. I want to start with the context. What is film? Uh, And you were just going to be like, back, the the moving together type was first developed and really dig into that, which I think would have been fun. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like this is the, you know, this is when the hype train really begins. Uh, It's been interesting that, uh, you know, there's there there are festivals that happen earlier in the year. Uh, Sundance is, I feel pretty central for us, for like you and me now, because they've been you know doing online access since the pandemic started, and so you're actually we're actually able to like watch some of those movies uh, if, if you're able to get tickets for it. So that's fun. Um, and then Cannes is obviously a big international one uh, that happens in in May, but you know, now is the time when the the movies that studios, both were traditional and the streaming studios, feel like okay, this is the we want to start building our narratives. And uh, you know, a lot of Oscar campaigning, a lot of Oscar discourse is about not necessarily the movies themselves, but the story of the movies and the story of the season, uh, which uh, I think. I think we've talked about this before, but uh, I, I, my my feeling is that that's what divides people who hate the Oscars from people who love them is the people who hate the Oscars are just like, that doesn't matter to them or that's not appealing in any way. And so they end up feeling just like, okay, like, I don't know, how do you judge these movies? Or like, this is an affair, you know, the George C. Scott, like you can't judge art uh, against each other. This is inanity uh, and, and borderline cruelty uh, to do that. 
Uh, or it's the sort of, oh, it's a fun, like, how do people do things? What's the sort of zeitgeist of uh, of this weird organization, uh, the Academy? And, and what is that going to uh, do? What effect is that going to have on uh, what people think about film history? Um, not that you have to win an Oscar to, you know, sometimes not winning an Oscar is even better for your uh, place in history um, than not. Uh, so, but it's all about these narratives and the narratives start at these festivals. And, uh, you know, there are, uh, I, I don't have the uh, intricate knowledge that I feel uh, the, the, the long-term Oscar reporters who get to go to the festivals really do, but there's like a, oh, you know, if you have this kind of movie, you go to Toronto, you try to get, the like audience award there and like the movie that wins the audience award that premieres in Toronto gets like a nominated for best picture, like nine out of 10 times. Uh, or like you go to Venice and you try to get like, you know, this kind of an audience buzzing about it. Uh, and that gets you like into injected into the conversation in a different way. So yeah, I don't, uh, you know, I, I'm not as, uh, keyed in to the intricacies of the festivals themselves, I just get very excited to start to get those initial reports of, oh, like how did this play? Like, what were people happy about this? Uh, how it, you know, how do I calibrate my expectations and my excitement levels for these different movies? How about you? Yeah, I was going to say a lot of the reporting on the ground in terms of like how audiences reacted and in terms of there's there's lots of schmoozing that happens, although less so this year because there are going to be fewer actors. Uh, But but there's a lot of schmoozing that happens kind of like after parties and people meet up with each other and kind of networking between critics and creators. And so there's so there's the, the most famous one I remember in recent years was uh, the Telluride film festival, which is in Colorado uh, had a very strong showing from uh, Renee Zellweger when they screened Judy, which she then went on, I believe to win an Oscar. (laughs) Yeah. That was like a clean, she just marched through that whole season. Yeah. yeah. And And so it was, you know, that was many, many months before the Oscars but it, I remember hearing tons of reporters saying sh- people were just like falling all over her. She was charming the pants off everybody in the room, right? Everyone like she, I remember, I don't know why I remember this particular thing in so much detail, but I remember this was, maybe this was the first time when I was listening to critics and podcasters where I was like, oh, wow, like these really do matter a lot because it was sort of like, you know, yeah. It swayed the like she was like Judy as a film was not really on anybody's radar. And then suddenly everybody was like, oh, we got to pay attention to Renee Zellweger and Judy. So I think that that really was the first story I remember hearing that was like had nothing to do with the quality of the film. Like people didn't talk about the film, Judy. They just talked about Renee Zellweger's flannel shirts and how she was really nice to everybody. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so so it's weird because there's all all this sort of and that 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 type of thing can happen at the drop of a hat and when no one expects it. And so that's that's partly actually why I wanted to do this episode before all that happens. Right. Because this is sort of like objectively speaking, thinking about these movies just based on their premises and who's involved and what they're about. Like, what do we think? And then and to see how how far astray that goes after the film festivals when all this other stuff. And again, it might be very different this year because there won't be actors at the festivals promote doing that kind of charming, but, but yeah, it'd be really interesting. 
interesting to see. And the other thing too is like just films that people were like, this is going to be the next greatest thing. And then, and everyone's like, Oh, never mind, Right. Cause, <laughs> cause once people see it, once people see it, they realize it's not, it's not really that good. So, or it doesn't live, live up to their expectations. So um, yeah, there's a lot can happen that can happen at these festivals. Um, Looking at what I was, the, I would kept thinking about the audience award. It's the people's choice award at the Toronto film festival. You have to go back to 2011 for the last time the winner of that award didn't get a nomination for best oh, picture. That's right, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's see, one, uh, uh, two, three of them have one Best Picture, uh, Nomadland, uh, Green Book. That was the beginning of the Green Book. Jojo uh, Rabbit run. is a TIFF winner, right? Uh, uh, Jojo Rabbit is a, yeah, it won the People's Choice Award uh, winner and 12 Years a Slave did as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, these are all, you know, movies that had, you know, generated a lot of momentum. Yeah, it's a weird chicken and egg thing where like the fact that they are at these festivals already gives them a certain boost of buzz but at the same time how they do at the festivals afterwards like if they win awards or like what the response is right that that also kind of like changes the course of their of their oscar campaign oftentimes yeah and i do think there's uh having uh spoken off mic with uh antonio once in future co-host of the show uh who has gone to the toronto film festival once i believe uh he uh he has said that you see you're seeing so many movies that when a movie is good you're like oh my god like this is amazing because you do see a lot of movies that are like eh. so i think that another part of the narrative is the the critics uh, who watch it and how, you know, they may end up seeing, I don't know, like 25 movies and like three of them are ones that they're like, oh, this was really good. I liked this. And that gives even more sort of credence and, and momentum to those movies when all, maybe not all 25, but like a, a good number of those 25 arrived with some hype. And so then the hype, you know, continues and, and grows. So just as a quick rundown, I'm again, because our job is to filter and make this less complicated for you who's listening. I'm just going to give a quick rundown in case you want to know what the film festivals are and then just like name a couple for each. I have a longer list in our Google Doc, uh, which PT is like, oh, wow, are we going to go through all these? We're not. Uh, <laughs> I was just going to do like a quick rundown of like what the major film festivals are when we talk, when we refer to fall film festival season, like what are we talking about? So Telluride, which we already mentioned, is is coming up first. The, uh, that's in Colorado. Um a lot of the films that already premiered at Cannes are also going to be playing there. Um, Zone of Interest and Anatomy of Fall, I think, are going to be come up multiple times in our conversation for the rest of the episode. Um, so those are big ones. Um, and Poor Things uh, is also speculated, could very well be. Um, so this is the problem is that Telegride is the first one that's coming up, but it's the one that there's the least certified information about <laughs> so like i was listening to awards watch which like they go if you think we're getting down to the nitty-gritty they are just like at a next level sort of like detail level of detail and kind of speculation uh, they had a whole they're the 300 they're the 300 level class yes for we're just the one one <laughs> Um, but, but they had a whole episode just on Telluride, not just on just like fall, fall film festivals. Um, so they were, even they were kind of like just speculating like, oh, well, based on what we know about the other festivals, like which ones are going to be at this one. The big one that stood out to me that I think didn't pop up 
with the other ones is a film called, which we might not talk about again, is a film called The Iron Claw, um, which is mostly notable because we we keep being haunted by the bear on the show. Um, and so this is a wrestling movie. It's like a biopic about four, a family of four brothers. And I think the description, the, the log line was like, they're all wrestlers and they all like, they meet a series of like tragic circumstances or something like that. Like a bunch of them die young or something like, you know, like, and this is, this is, it's based on a true story. So like, you you know, if you're familiar with who they are, I guess you already know what happens, but um, Jeremy Allen white, who's the star of the bear uh, is in this movie. And uh, I think it was Eric Anderson on awards watch made a really chilling point. Once he said it, I was like, Oh, whoa, where, because they moved the Emmys to January, which is like the thick of Oscar season, like Oscar, like Oscar campaigns are like at their height, arguably in at after the end of the year, um, that he, he's probably going to win for the bear. Mm-hmm. And does that give him a huge boost to then get nominated for an Oscar or like well, to, and that or to win? Very... Or, if he's, or I think he would already have to be because nominations come out shortly after the Emmys. Right. Right. And the, I mean, that would be, uh, in you know, of sort of reflection of the year Matthew McConaughey, the week we, we peaked in the McConaissance, uh, was you know it's like it's, he's in it's Dallas Buyers Club, uh, and he has that great scene in Wolf of Wall Street. Like he could have gotten a sporting nomination there, but a lot of the energy was man, he's so good on True Detective. That first season of True Detective was like dominating the discourse. That it was like, of course, he's going to win uh, an Oscar, even though True Detective is a TV show and not a movie. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but like, it could be a similar thing. Of, yeah. You know, that's the that's like the he's just like everybody's into him there. at the same time, and then it just yeah. it's just the right he's in the right place at the right time. So that so that's the main reason to pay attention to that movie. I think uh, otherwise, I'm not sure that that movie would really be on my radar. Um, but it also has Zac Efron, I think. I mean, with with his p- post injuries, his first movie, I think. Oh, in a that's right. While. Yeah. So I don't know. So people people seem somewhat excited about that movie, and and to my knowledge, I think the process of elimination that Awards Watch had was that like it ha- it has to be a Telluride because it's not it hasn't they haven't said it's at anywhere else. Anyway, I've already spent too long talking about that. So that's tell Telluride that's coming up first. Overlapping with Ter- Telluride um, is. The Venice Film Festival. This one seems to have so many heavy hitters. So most notably, Michael Mann's new movie Ferrari, which is starring Adam Driver and Penelope Cruz. Uh, which the more I hear about the movie, the more I'm like, wait, why wasn't this really on my radar before? Maestro apparently is going to be there, which I thought was weird because I was like, I thought the big, it was a big deal that that was going to be at New York. But anyway, um, Priscilla, which is like the yet another Elvis movie, but it's by Sofia Coppola, so we care. Um, <laughs> It's very complicated. I'm like, I don't know if I can handle another Elvis movie right now. But okay, like, you can handle a Sophia Coppola. But I can movie. handle a Sophia Coppola movie, right? Like that got me. Like I'm, I'm out. I'm in. It's it's complicated. Um, David Fincher's The Killer, um, and you know a bunch of other movies. So 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 that one I was like, whoa! Like Venice really is bringing the heat. And it, Venice is where Dune premiered the first. Oh, time, that's right. Okay, for the I knew it was. I did look it up. I knew it was one of the two. Um, so yeah, so maybe that's going to land there, but they just haven't announced it yet for whatever reason. It won't. So we'll see. Um, 
And TIFF, which is the Toronto International Film Festival, this is the one we keep talking about where a lot of times films that win that People's Choice Award or Audience Award, I don't remember what they call it there. Um, it was People's Choice. It's people, okay. Uh, it's funny because I feel like I never hear critics referring it to it that way. <laughs> so I mean, they just don't like the phrase People's Choice. Um, but yeah, this, this one uh, has Taika Waititi's next film, Next Girl Wins, which no no critics I follow seem to be excited about. Um, they're actually quite disdainful. Like so really, people really turned on Taika Waititi. Uh, yeah, there there was there's there's yeah there, there's some sort of inflection point. I think there it was some to some degree his public persona with like when he was maybe in a polyamorous relationship and people were like we don't we don't want to hear about it. Dude. Uh, and then there was just a lot between. Uh, um, our flag means death. What we do in the shadows, both on TV and then uh, Thor: Love and Thunder coming out. I think that there was right. a, a exhaustion was hit, and it also you know kind of coincides with the Marvel exhaustion in general. And uh, Taika's humor has been sort of subsumed into like part of one of the pro- you know the kind of humor that's in a Marvel movie is connected with Taika um, because he had such an impact with Ragnarok and some of that's carried forward. I think uh, that, so I think that, yeah, there's, there's this real sort of sense of people being over him, but I, I don't know. I think that movie could, you know, it surprise people. They'd be like, Oh, right. Like this isn't about a superhero. This is just like a fun little movie from him. And, uh, and people might be pleasantly surprised. Uh, Tiff is also going to have Dumb Money, which is the Seth Rogen, America Ferrera, uh, GameStop shorting movie. The big, the sure. uh, I don't know if I if I described that correctly, but the the big GameStop stock thing that happened. Mm-hmm. They're making a movie. Yeah, right, shoot shoot the moon. Go <laughs> hold the diamond. Something like that? That's a, I don't, one of those sounds right. Uh, yeah. Alexander paints the holdovers, which we're going to talk about later probably and a Sylvester Stallone documentary, which people were like, is Sylvester Stallone going to go to TIFF? Can he go to TIFF? Cause he's just, and the, there's a large discussion mm. about like, could he, is there a loophole through which he could go to TIFF? Not as an actor. Um, I haven't heard one way or the other. Uh, and then the other one, which I only mentioned because I don't think it's going to come up again, but there, because it's not, I think it's not going to be part of this season, uh, but probably next season is a Kate Winslet film where she stars uh, as a war photographer. It's called Lee, but then also Andy Samberg is there. I was like, what is this movie? I don't know. <laughs> um, but that had, doesn't have a distributor yet. Like no one's bought that movie. And so my guess is that that's not going to be eligible because by the time, if it comes out at, at TIFF and then someone buys it, right. They're not releasing it probably until 2024. So, so that one, that one I just thought was interesting. As like a, I didn't know this was a movie that was happening. That feels like a movie where they're going to want the two of them. Yes. Out promoting it. So yeah, I think I could see that even if they had someone to distribute it, they might be like, well, maybe let's give it, let's hold back. And, and let's have, even if it's Andy Samberg sort of being serious in the movie, like they'll want. I'm like, is this an Adam Sandler punch drunk love situation? Like what is happening? (laughs) Um, Jack Black and King Kong. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He was actually pretty good in that. Uh, the other one, just to go back to, to go back to the Jeremy Allen White bit, uh, there's yet another movie he's in called Fingernails, 
which I put actually put a link in the Google Doc. I don't know. Do you know about this movie, PT? This the ca- look up the cast of this and then tell us about it. Like, click on oh, the please. link because I want to uh, hear your I reaction. Mean, yeah, good. I mean, good, good cast. Uh, an upcoming American science fiction romance film. Uh, directed by Christos Niku, who does not have a Wikipedia link. That's always an intriguing thing. But yeah, Jesse Buckley, Riz Ahmed, Jeremy Allen White, Annie Murphy, and Luke Wilson. Uh, that's that's a good that's a good list. Right. Um, I I had seen that he was in another movie, but that like it's it was like oh it's another Apple TV movie, and I was like oh well then it's probably it also if you read the premise it sounds like it's ripping off the Lobster. Uh, which is the Yorgos Lanthimos movie, but because it's about like couples and like, like assessing couples (laughs) like that. Anyway. um, So yeah, so that's Tiff. Uh, And then the, the last like really big one. And then there are two like sort of big ones um, is uh, NYFF New York film festival. The big news for that is like, they dropped the announcement that Maestro was going to be the kind of like their centerpiece film. Uh, for that festival and that's when the trailer came out and so like that seemed like a big deal um they me- saw the nose they, and they saw- were like we're not doing this and then <laughs> we're not into it you gotta you gotta make your the nose doesn't play joke i i, I mean i was gonna wait you until, it. Oh, until okay, later okay. but i i did now we have to now we, the, the nose i don't know if the nose plays the nose may not play yeah we'll talk we'll talk more in a, in a little bit i think um and miyazaki's the boy and the heron which i was super excited about uh, or I've always I've been super excited about, and then I'm excited that that's getting a big splashy premiere. Um, there's a film called Foe with Saoirse Ronan and Paul Mescal, who are both very lauded actors. People are very excited. Um, and then finally, there's a, another movie called All of Us Strangers, which tons of critics seem to be up in arms about in terms of, like like excited for. So that, that's the new like buzz buzzy movie yeah. that I feel like everyone's like don't don't forget about all of us strangers like that's gonna have an impact and i don't know if that's based on anything i don't know if anyone's seen it uh, i think so i think people are just excited by the cast and they're excited about the premise they think the premise is funky and interesting Um, well it's it it has that energy that past lives had like before sundance where it was like actually this is the one that everyone should see Um, which doesn't mean it will take off and be um that good uh as good as that but uh yeah everyone's saying keep their eye on it so another another paul mescal joint yes so yeah he's he's gotten very busy after being nominated for an oscar uh going from no one ever heard of him to nominated to an oscar and now he's making all these movies so he's he's doing it right um this also stars andrew scott uh which people may know as the hot priest from fleabag um Mm -hmm. Or Moriarty or from Mo- yes. the Benedict Cumberbatch yes. Sherlock. That's prob- That's actually probably a better reference for our audience, I would guess. Yeah. Um, and Claire Foy. If you haven't seen Fleabag, everyone should go see Fleabag yeah. if they've not seen yeah. Fleabag. Yeah, so stop listening to us and go watch Fleabag. Yes. <laughs> that's, you have not seen it. Um, yeah, so th- those are the big, the big heavy hitters. The other two that I feel like when I've heard Oscar pundits sort of like mulling over film festival season – BFI and AFI, the British Film Institute, the American Film Institute, like they have premieres, like things happen with them, but they are nowhere near as important, it seems, as all the other ones we just mentioned. So, but in terms of this season, uh, Saltburn, which I kept panicking, being like, wait, why is Saltburn not coming out at any of these festivals? Like, where is Saltburn? Where is Saltburn? And then I'm like, oh, it's because Emerald Fennell is British and she's committed Saltburn to the London Film Festival, which is the British Film Institute's festival. So 
I was like, oh, that makes more sense that that's they're waiting for it to premiere there um, as like a national nationalist <laughs> move, I guess. Um, sure. So, so that'll, that'll be good, but that'll be later in the season. That'll be October uh, London film festivals in October. Um, and then AFI is sort of the last one where like occasionally a film will premiere at AFI that ends up mattering like, a, but that one right now, cause it's so far out, it's October 25th has no announcements or even rumors about what's, what's premiering there. So We'll have to see. Um, but there are two sort of glaring omissions. Uh, both films that we've talked about quite a bit, probably on this, on, on the show so far. Um, one is Doom Part 2, which we already talked about, where it's like, that might just, that might still pop up somewhere as having a big premiere. But like, and then my worst fear is that maybe it not being scheduled at a film festival yet means that there's still, there's still a possibility that gets pushed to next year it's not coming out guys because they were threatening that or there were rumors about that but yeah so that that's one that doesn't have a home yet at least that hasn't been announced and then ridley scott's napoleon which i know pt is super excited about i'm also excited about i'm excited about it um i, I finally watched the trailer it looks great it, it brought me back to Gladiator, probably because there's one shot of Joaquin Phoenix putting on a crown. And I'm just like, we're back. We're back. This is Gladiator. <laughs> we're doing it. Um, but the fact that that this movie and I looked it up and it, there are articles that are like, it's definitely not at any film festivals. Like it's like it's skipping film festivals. So I'm like, which was I'm, I'm curious. I, I don't know. I mean, it could be. Uh, it could be a few things. One, the obvious concern is it's not good and they don't want to show it to anyone uh, before it's going to come out in a controlled promotional push. Uh, the uh, the second, which I, I I think also potentially likely is it will not be finished until the day it's supposed to premiere for, you know, I think there's a the- theatrical release set uh, and then it will be on the Apple service because it's another Apple uh, plus movie uh, that it will be. You know, it's basically he's going to be editing and and they're going to be doing the effects for it uh, right up until you know the, they'll rip it from his hands and put it in the theaters. Uh, the the third thing is I I did look up the last uh, Ridley Scott movies. Uh, of course, he released two movies in twenty twenty one. One of which was excellent and immediately forgotten, and one of which was House of Gucci. Um, and and the the excellent <laughs> one, the Last Duel, was a Venice Film Festival um, premiere, and then kind of just you know died on the vine uh it petered out and 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 disappeared whereas house of gucci just got like a you know premiere at a theater in london uh and and was released uh and that i mean i think it ended up only getting hairstyle and makeup um but it had the lady gaga like the sensation that lady gaga was on right on the outside of uh best actress that year so it, it got traction so you know i'm not i don't know if ridley scott thinks about it this way or cares about it but it might just be like i he doesn't need festivals he just releases the movie and then uh let the let the people figure it out so it could be any of those things uh i'm hoping it's not because it's not good he could also just be ridley scott being a curmudgeon being like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna play the film festival game people can just watch this movie when it comes out (laughs) i can start i can see that and then michael mann's looking at him like we can do that like we could just not. Oh. oh, okay. <laughs> um, I just, well, while Jen was talking before, I was trying to find, there's no like 
history of the AFI festival. Like the AFI oh. festival page is only about this year. There's no Wikipedia page for it. There's no like news stories about what happened last year. Um, so I'm sure if I had more time, I, I could find find more information. But it is a surprisingly under uh, Googleable wow. film festival. That's kind of weird. That's so shadowy. I, I, and like again, like it's one of those things where people bring it up during in the con- context of the Oscars race, like occasionally. It's right. pretty rare that anyone cares, but yeah, it's a thing. Um, anyway, so hopefully that was like, that was probably more information that you wanted about film festivals coming up, but just, you know, I think it helps to know that kind of like the list because you hear critics offhandedly reference them all the time, or at least I do. And it can be a lot to keep track of if you don't know that they're separate thing. Like to, if you don't know which one's which, um, but yeah. So I think now we've already started talking about this a little bit, which makes me think we might, should have probably started the rhetorical situation before I gave all that context. Um, <laughs> but here we are. Um, so I think we're going to do move into the rhetorical situation again, to kind of extend a little bit more context or discussion about kind of like how the Oscar race works. And then we, we'll go into sharing our predictions. So the rhetorical situation, a segment in which we look at, well, not a film, but the Oscars race through the lens of our academic experiences. It's just so noble. It is. I love it. I almost didn't pick it for that. Like, I'm like, is this too stuffy? But I think that's us making fun of ourselves as academics. I, yeah. I kind of like it in that context. So, I think um, that's correct. So anyway. If you, this is your first time listening to us and you're like, what is happening right now? Uh, in the teaching of writing, uh, the rhetorical situation refers to any contextual factors that influence composing and interpretation, right? So we see that as being like really relevant oftentimes to what we're talking about in the film world. Um, and so my question to you, PT, is what contextual factors do you feel like impact the Oscars race in general or what's going to be what the Oscars race is going to be like this year? Kind of looking ahead. Oh, man. I mean, I I think in general, it is whether people choose to play along with this or not. It's all about the the story and the narrative of of what's happening. I think there's some people who are just like, no, I shut that out. I just choose what I think is the best uh, of this. But, you know, that's sort of like the people that are like, well, I don't, there aren't these arguments that exist in the world around me. Or, you know, I want to keep politics out of you know, my sports or my entertainment or whatever. It's like, no, like it's always there. And like the choice you're making to try to have the absence of that, the the the, the attempt to have the absence of a narrative in the uh, in your Oscar voting or your Oscar predicting uh, is is still a, a narrative choice to try to do that. So, um, you know, there's there there are these meta narratives that are at play where the Academy is trying to grow and evolve past the sort of Oscar so white uh, you know, feeling and, and history of uh, the sort of dominant culture um, having such sway over the the voting body and and by extension the uh, movies that are awarded. And so there have been uh, dramatic shifts in the uh, makeup, uh, the constituency of the academy, and that has. Uh, I, I think you know, helped. It's shifted things uh, a little bit where we have seen some movies that are uh, about 
uh, underrepresented populations that have gotten a lot of momentum, a lot of attention. Um, there's blowback to that. There's a sort of push and pull around uh, around all of that. Uh, and then there are some potential narratives, which we will get into, I won't say yet, which one's about individual people, mm. filmmakers, actors, uh, or movies as sort of their own, as their own cultural product um, that, you know, at this point, again, this is very premature, it's super early, but there are already stories that are starting to to come together from movies that we have seen that have come out of like, oh, like, is this, you know, last year, everything, everywhere, all at once was, had been out for what, like four or five months by at this point in the year. And people were like, man, we all love that movie. Like, what if, what if that became something? And it did. Uh, and that sort of steam, uh, steamrolled and, and, and took off. So uh, you know, there's there's some movies like that. There's other movies that we're looking at sort of down the road that also have their own uh, narratives around them. So, uh, so yeah, I, I think that it's all the kind of the, this push and pull between the past, the the future, um, between like old school thinking, new school thinking. Uh, uh, a, uh, a reactionary is uh, isn't fair, but a, a sort of a staid uh, conservative approach to to things versus a more uh, progressive and uh, outward, maybe flamboyant approach, um, and and then also a, a tension between different people, and uh, and you know who's going to be the main characters of uh, of this Oscar race. We don't know yet, but there's some possibilities. Yeah, and I think when we talk to our students, we often talk about values and how you can't build an argument without pinpointing what your values are and what your potential readers values are going to be and kind of negotiating kind of a push and pull of that. Cause if you go kind of just start making your argument without having an understanding of the underlying values, right. You could just be off in space, like doing something that doesn't make any sense. Right. Um, and so, or making an argument that you don't want to make. <laughs> I've had students do that where they're like, Oh, I thought I was arguing this. I'm like, well, <laughs> you're not <laughs> um turns out you're actually arguing for this other thing um uh but yeah so I, and i think with the oscars race that is so relevant because very rarely is the discussion actually about an artistic meritocracy of any kind and granted that's sticky anyway because you know you know art is subjective etc cetera, etc cetera, right like it's like so so like you know, there's always values at play when we're, we talked about this with Indiana Jones, right? In terms of like what you think a good movie is, 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 is dependent on from person to person. But I think more, (laughs) what's more kind of hilarious about the Oscars is that oftentimes when people are talking about films that are going to win or not, they're just not even talking at all about the merits of it as a film. And they're more talking about sort of like, you know, I hear all the time Oscars prognosticators saying like, well, this is the type of movie the Academy will feel good politically mo- uh, voting for, right? This is a, the social message is something that they want to, they want to sort of like virtue signal. And so that's going to win, right? Like that, I hear that speculation all the time. Um, and then also like, you know, campaigning also has negative campaigning, just like in politics. <laughs> So I remember, I think it was uh, Judas and the Black Messiah was like getting so much critical praise. And then there was an article and this often happens. It's not just specific to this movie. Um, but then there was an article that came out that questions its historical accuracy. And then it was like, forget it. Like it's, it's done. Right. Like no one's, no one's good. Everyone's going to be afraid to vote for this now. Cause they're gonna be like, well, it's not historically accurate. So, so, and I, yeah, so I feel like that in the press cycles, 
leading up to the Oscars, like there's always that kind of push and pull as well. Um, so yeah, it's a lot of, a lot of nonsense. What I, what I wrote in our, uh, in our Google doc was basically what kind of nonsense happens with Oscar nominations. Right. Like, and like, and this is how people get a really up in arms about snubs, right. Because it was like, people assumed based on like how good a performance is that, somebody has to be nominated and then they don't get nominated and it turns out, well, maybe it wasn't the quote unquote their time, right? They're too new. There's all these other factors. And then there's also the thing of like someone is overdue, right? So we've talked about this Mm -hmm. before. I think like people win for the wrong movie because it's like they didn't win for the movie they should have won for. And now people are like, well, they need an Oscar. So, so they, that that's yeah. what it becomes about as opposed to the movie that that's actually being nominated. So, so yeah, yeah. There, there's a domino effect. That's like, Oh, like we need to give art Carney an award for his, you know, his career. So he's going to get an acting award, but that means Al Pacino is not going to get an award in the seventies. So now we have to give Al Pacino an award in 1992, but that means Denzel doesn't get an award from Malcolm X. So that means like, we got to make sure we get Denzel an award for, for training day. And so, you know, that doesn't mean that those are not worthy performances, but uh, sometimes those, uh, those narratives supersede any kind of, uh, I don't know, objective reality. Uh, to the degree there can be an objective reality about uh, valuing art and what uh, what people actually care about. It instead becomes like, oh, it's this person's time. And I think what's interesting this year is we've got a lot of people who are young and new and it could be like, oh, there's maybe they're too young and or, or, or they're too new or they've, you know, they've, they're not like, you know, incredibly, not like in their late teens, early 20s, but they haven't had a lot of Oscar success before. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, is it their time? Like, or, you know, they're maybe like a little bit older, but maybe it's maybe we should give them like a few more, a few more samples. And there's some other people who have been around a while, but they've already won like once or twice. And it's like, well, do we need to get them to the next level? Are they going to be a two-time winner, a three-time winner? Uh, and I, I think that's true in... Uh, behind the camera and in front of the camera. So. One thing I have heard is that in the, and again, to think about this year specifically, especially with the strikes happening in the absence of actors camp, camp campaigning and promoting, will people be lazy in their nominations? Right. And fall back on people they've nominated before. Right. Things that people are all like, just that are really in the zeitgeist as opposed to like the, going to actually see a bunch of movies. You know what I mean? That's the other thing is that like p- critics always complain that we go through all the trouble of seeing all the movies and people who vote for the Oscars don't, that they just go by like hearsay and like, Oh I, yeah, I kind of like that person or you know, there's a bunch of other stuff. So, so my main point here is that we're about to share our predictions and the main unsolicited advice I usually give people about the Oscars emphasize unsolicited no one asked me for advice about the oscars um is that you 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 have to go with these bigger narratives and kind of like these weird discursive values that are at play that are outside of the actual content of the movies because i think uh i've had friends in the past being like oh i should i go see all these movies and i'm like well do you want to win your oscars pill if the answer is yes then you don't actually have to that's the secret is like you don't actually have to have seen all the movies selecting selecting for your oscar pool is not that different than playing fantasy football or fantasy baseball where you don't actually have to watch these games you just have to look at the numbers and the trends and the predictions of where things will go right and uh and you know that's it's 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 a different game 
it's a different game than an actual evaluative uh, attempt to find the best movie of the year, which, you know, even if there, there were some way, some rubric by which you could uh, do that, I think that it ends up being a fool's errand uh, when it's, you know, great. It's great to talk about. I'm sure we'll have a discussion uh, here on the show of what were the movies we liked best, uh, et cetera. And what would we put as our top five or whatever uh, of the year separate from this awards thing. But that's not really, you know, functionally, that's not how the Oscars end up working just because, uh, you know, I think it's, it's just too hard to get, how many people is it? It's like thousands of people uh, in the Academy uh, to figure, you know, to get to any sort of a consensus uh, about, about the taste of it all. So given all that, right? So just know that when we give our share predictions, it's not like these are not our personal picks. We are going to talk about things that we liked, uh, but that prediction predictions at the end of the day have to be, what do you think other people are going to like? And what are, what's all the sort of extra contextual nonsense that's going to kind of push things one way or the other potentially. And also like a big thing too, is we talk about Oscar bait. So like what type of movie typically is popular with the Academy and gets on nominations, even if some other type of movie is also really good, right? Like there's also that too. Sorry. I will also say there's also sort of, uh, uh, business level, uh, company level questions as well, where you know a, a smaller studio like an A24, for instance, may be like, I got to choose, or Neon might be like, I got to choose one of these movies or, or maybe two that I can really focus on and, and promote and try to get some awards things. And so a movie that either maybe comes out a little bit later or that they aren't expecting people to respond to as well, or that you as a movie viewer may particularly like and be like, how come no one is giving attention <laughs> to that? And it's like, Oh, it's, you know, it literally is just like, it, it's just not, you know, we, we don't have the brain space for it or, or the promotion budget to, to get it, uh, to get it in the hands of enough voters for it to get momentum. And, uh, you know, every year there's always uh, you know, one or two movies that fall by the wayside. There's also, the, uh, sort of the push and pull of these studios and, and there's the uh, general kind of battle lines drawn between traditional movie studios and the streaming places, Netflix, uh, Apple, Amazon, uh, where, you know, the traditional studios don't love them uh, completely. Uh, and, you know, there's, it's been sort of a narrative, like Netflix has never won best picture. They've spent a lot of money on a lot of boutique productions uh, to try to get into that zone. Um, Apple uh, has won, um, Amazon's I know has won a lot a, a bunch of acting awards I actually don't know off the top of my head right now uh, um, yeah Manchester Amazon by is. the Sea I think it was their biz- biggest success yeah which got actor and screenplay that's right um, but I don't I don't think they've won best picture but they've gotten you know <laughs> they've come close <laughs> they have and Netflix got very close uh, it, you know people were, were thinking Roma would do it but uh, but it didn't happen. So uh, so you know there, there's that as well where there's like oh well are there voters who are still mad at Netflix? Uh, you know are there voters who are actors who are mad at Netflix for you know trying to hold out on the strike for streaming things? So things again this is all outside of the of the the relevance of the quality of the movie or the performance or the or the technical uh, component um, that's being judged here. It's all these little narratives intersecting and and threading together to to become the the season, the Oscar season. All right. So I think what we're going to do is we'll sort of switch off who's going to share their predictions first. We'll just go through a list of like, who do you think is going to get nominated in each category? And then 
if we want to, we can give some shout outs to things that we don't think are going to get nominated, but that we really liked personally, or that we thought was, was deserving, right? That that doesn't, they just, that just doesn't happen to fall into this, you know, contextual quagmire (laughs) of all these other factors we've been talking about. Um, And then, yeah. And then also like, you know, PT, you noted that we should check in on how we feel about movies we drafted, right? So like if there's something that has come out that we talked about in a previous episode, yeah, we can definitely chime in and kind of reassess that because I think the winds have shifted (laughs) in ways we have not expected for in some cases yeah (laughs) our drafts our draft still looks pretty strong though we'll we'll get to it yeah 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 um we may need need to remind people what we drafted at some point or like mention things that we drafted and by people you mean ourselves you mean ourselves (laughs) because I had to look it up I I meant me because I forgot uh already anyway so let's start with uh we've got best animated feature I'll go first. So, and I, I generally did mine mostly in descending order of strength. So, like, if something's first, number one is Across the Spider-Verse. I think that's the most likely to get nominated. And then we kind of descend from there. So, I have Across the Spider-Verse, The Boy and the Heron, uh, Elemental, Nimona, and Wish. Uh Ooh. Half of those are out already. So, Spider-Verse, Elemental, Nimona. Boy and the Heron, as we said, is going to have uh, a big, splashy New York Film Festival premiere, a uh, North American premiere. It's already out in Japan, um, I'm pretty sure, and people are loving it. Uh, and Wish is uh, slated, I think, for like a November, like a ho- probably a Thanksgiving e holiday release, I would guess. Yeah, that's in the frozen slot of like November 20-something to like get the Thanksgiving family. Right, the holiday season uh, spot. Yeah. The kickoff of the holiday season. So... Yeah, so that's that's what I have. My thinking generally, and then I'll kick it over to you, is uh, I try to spread, usually with animated feature, it's like each major studio always gets a spot, even if the movies aren't as good. Um, so like Netflix and Di- uh, Pixar, sorry, uh, Netflix, Pixar, and Disney, recently especially, have always kind of had, they have a slot in this list. And so like, elemental even though it didn't get a lot of critical praise i think is still getting in here <laughs> just because it's a pixar movie and it wasn't terrible like people people neither loved it nor hated it and so like it's just gonna be here um wish is a big question mark i feel like every because i watched the trailer for that multiple times in preparation for this to be like what is the deal with this movie part of me is like this is the jumping the shark of disney movies because, it's the origin story of the star. Right. right. It's like so much convoluted prequel nonsense that I'm just like, no, this is can't be good. But at the same time, it does also feel like it's kind of tapping into some classic golden era, golden age Disney movie tropes. And it is a musical. So like, I'm still on the hook for this one. I'm just like, but I'm very skeptical. The other possible contender I had in here was Super Mario Brothers because it made so much money. I didn't know if it was going to have a Top Gun Maverick sort of thing to be like, thank you for keeping movie theaters in business, even though the people didn't like critics didn't totally love the movie, uh, but it did super well. So that could still pop in here. My personal pick that's not I don't think is going to get in here. I'll just be interested to hear what you say is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem, which we haven't reviewed yet because we're waiting for Greg. Greg, go see that movie so we can (laughs) review it. Um, And uh but I, I loved it, but I just don't, I think there's, there isn't room for Spider-Verse and Turtles. What do you That's think? it. I was wondering if there's the, 
the the train had passed like the Dungeons and Dragons movie the train passed and we're just not going to be able to talk we have to do like a a recap episode if we've got like a, a gap somewhere of like let's talk about the movies we meant to cover but not an, we we saw it in a staggered way so we couldn't all talk about it um yeah i i love the ninja turtles movie uh, as well i uh will fully admit i did not um I didn't approach doing this the same way that you did where I don't have like a five for each of these. I just was like, oh, these are the ones that I think are like the most important to talk about now. And then the other. That's fine. Um, but I had that as uh, five. I had that in like fifth in sort of the discussion thing, because I feel like wish is nothing like wish is just going to be like, OK, like, thank you for playing. Um, and and just, I, I just spit you know, my water. listeners. I, there was a spit take. I didn't want to bring it up. Uh, but. But like I, I also feel like there there may be b- between the individual uh, c- you know, craft uh, category voters um, and also yeah I guess it was one matter for the wider academy I think just uh, I've, I guess I don't remember who votes for the animation film if it's the whole academy or just people who are in some sort of like animator division um, but I think there might be some anti like okay Disney like calm down and there being both a Disney and a Pixar movie this year isn't guaranteed because. Disney has been particularly crappy. Uh, Bob Iger's been particularly crappy around the strikes. Maybe Fair. I'm overvaluing that. Um, but, you know, Elemental has this, uh, I got to keep going back to narrative, but it has this little engine that could thing going where I did just see it's, it, you know, not worldwide, but uh, it just its international box office just passed Spider-Verse. Like it is like just what? making money. It is at like 307 million international and Spider-Verse is at like 302 or 303. Like it's like, it came out and everyone's like elemental flop, like put it on the pile of the flops of 2023, but it's just stayed in the theaters. People have been going to see it. It's always in the top like six or seven uh, for the last like few months at the box office. So by the time we get to uh, the the voting nomination time, I think that could be pretty strong. I think that's going to be a strong third place movie um but this is really spider verse versus miyazaki um uh, i think um that's what it feels like it's going to be and then um i think elemental third you know i would uh i i guess actually i would have for me i like i would i would think if i was just gonna throw out there like like easiest predictions mario brothers and the ninja turtles um very child of the 80s of me to say that um (laughs) but um but i think it's actually more likely that neither of those two get in and it's going to be two movies that are maybe on this list but i like this list was put together like five days ago and i already don't remember what most of these movies are because this is sort of like oh it's this movie based on a comic book that that was independently produced and sold like 100 copies um but it's going to be really beautiful and it's going to like win some sort of animation festival somewhere and get this momentum uh, into, into a nomination, um, which I feel like there's usually like you know, one or two of those that, uh, that come out. So yeah, looking at this list, there isn't like a clear, I guess the boy and the heron would be the Pinocchio comp, but like there aren't yeah. to me when I made this list, I was like, there aren't quite enough like artsy indie animated films on here. Nimona actually like so I didn't finish Nimona because my kids thought it was too scary, um, which says more about them than the film to to be clear. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but um, and I I so I'm meaning to finish it, but I just haven't gotten around to it. Um, but what I saw, I watched about probably the first forty five minutes of it. It was quite good. The animation style is really beautiful. Voice acting is is spot on. It's very 
funny. It has a lot of turning red vibes, not in the teenage sense, but in the I can turn into animals uh, sense. I see. <laughs> um, so, like, if you're, a, I would say, if you're a fantasy fan, if you haven't seen Nimona, check it out. Okay. Um, so that's the closest to me is to because Nef- the Netflix pick is usually something that's a little bit on the artier side. Yeah, because they because as is, you said, is, they they are desperate for Oscars, and so they 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 back true. movies that they think they are going to win. In there. Is the Inventor a Netflix movie? Because that's a stop motion movie, and I do think there's a you know a section of of voters that are just like, yes, this is a a style. Well, and I think a, I couldn't find thing. out when that was coming out. Is the problem? Yeah. That, and that, oh, I, I guess have, it's not going to be released. Okay, it's going to be released by Blue Fox Entertainment on September fifteenth. Oh, I don't know what Blue Fox Entertainment is. Mm. It's founded by Todd Slater and John James Huntsman. Oh, it's got a good voice cast: Stephen Fry, Davey, Daisy Ridley, Marion Cotillard. Huh. Yeah. So yeah, this would take this. This would be this would fit the bill for what I think is missing from the list. So yeah. I, I will also say something that I had kind of. Uh, dismissed as like i don't know whatever sort of like what you have migration on here um which looks i was just trying to name all the animated movies that were coming no no, it's great (laughs) like that's the movie that it's like oh maybe but then it's like if you're gonna do an illumination movie you would do super mario brothers uh i think Mm, um which i think you know like despicable me 2 i just looked up got a nomination um back when despicable me despicable me 2 came out so there is a a sort of a slot for a super mario brothers type thing um but there is a uh, a sequel um maybe long awaited i don't know to chicken run chicken run 2 the donald's and that's that's ardman studios which you know that the the wallace and gromit people they do tend you know they have a, a a cachet um, you know, uh, the, the, the sequel they, they stuff recast, is rough. They but... recast Mel Gibson with, I believe, Zachary Levy. Oh, oh. No, they did not. I think. I think. Let me that look this up now. I wanted to be wild. <laughs> and I was like, well, that didn't pan out how you wanted it to. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I just could have sworn like I saw that because I did see that. The, yes, I'm correct. <laughs> They're like, it's fine. We've replaced him with Major League Baseball rising star Wander Franco. Wait a minute. Um, you don't know what that's referring to, and you don't want to. Okay. So just trust me. That was a okay. great, those are great jokes. Those are great jokes. Okay. Or a terrifying joke. Uh, also, Tandy Way Newton. So she oh. got she's she's stuck in this movie with Zachary Levy. Um who Which like arguably okay. like got his big break entangled. Mm. So maybe this is a good return to voice acting for him. But again, like if if the problem was to swap out Mel Gibson is problematic <laughs> for an actor. I maybe at the time when they cast him that he wasn't he he no one knew he was somewhat problematic. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, he was more he was more like potentially weird than not, not problematic. Yeah. Um, I will just note Chuck had been on for three years before Tangled came out. For the record, okay, to sure. defend sure, Zachary sure, Levi sure. I'm briefly. I'm talking about animation though. That's true. That's true. Um, anyway, uh, okay. I think we're good. We're good with this category. I mean, like, I'd say out of all these movies we've mentioned that are out already, obviously, Spider Verse is on is on VOD now. So if you have if you didn't catch that in the theaters, you have no excuse. Uh, I suppose it'll probably pop up on a streaming service at some point, but I think it's they're probably going to hold it on to on VOD for a little while because it can't yeah. make money there. 
As, um, as someone who still has not seen it, uh, I, my excuse is I've been watching Star Wars Rebels before Ahsoka instead of watching that because that I think got on VOD last week or like a week. Yeah, it was August eighth, I want to say. Um, and then and then I would say after you've seen that, then go see Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: Mutant Mayhem because it's it's a- yeah super fun. That one's great. Yeah. That's really good. So funny. I'm I'm still uh, saying Ray Play <laughs> all the time, just randomly. <laughs> Um, uh, so it's good. I should have saved that for our review. Sorry. Uh, no, no, but I mean, we'll see if you're still saying it. Yeah. Um, so up next we have uh, best international feature, uh, which I'm super glad to be the one talking about this because nothing's come out. <laughs> uh, none of these have been, uh, released yet. Uh, but for me, you know, I think there's three sort of clear candidates and then we have some possibilities um coming uh coming from below and these are weird for those of you who do not know because uh these are not nominated via the standard sort of academy procedures the countries decide uh i guess the they're they're, the countries initially decide what movie to submit which has uh led in the past to times when people are like wait what the hell like why why isn't this movie nominated for like rrr last year was the big uh, the big example right. of this, where it couldn't like, have, been, it couldn't have won because, or couldn't have been nominated because India decided it was not their pick. Right, um, and the academy can't like overrule that. Yeah. The, each individual nation submits their. Own. Sorry, I was shaking my head earlier, not to say that you were getting it wrong, but to say that I do not approve of this process. Yes, <laughs> so you know, I, 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 I don't know if this is my healthy ego or if this is my knowledge of how you feel about it, but I knew immediately that's what you meant. I did not feel chided in any way, um, but there was an immediate vigorous head shake when I brought it up. Um, so, uh, you know, the the three movies that I think can be expected, assuming that they are submitted by their countries, are uh, Anatomy of a Fall, which would come from France, which won the Palme d'Or, if I I'm recalling correctly. Yes. So everyone, uh, everyone thought Zone of Interest was going to win, but then they swapped it. Where Anatomy of a Fall? Wait. Now I'm getting it wrong. Ah, because because Sandra Hewler's in both of them. It is. (laughs) So it's confusing. Um, But it was it was one of those things where Zone of Interest, Anatomy of Fall. One of them was the expected winner, and then the other one ended up winning the Palme d'Or. Yes. So there's there's three sort of there's like a bronze, silver, gold type uh, awards set up in at the Cannes Film Festival, uh, and the the third place is the jury prize that went to Fallen Leaves from Finland, also in this discussion. Um, the Grand Prix is sort of the second considered the second prize. That zone of interest, uh, which is. Uh, British, but also Polish uh, in terms of the, I don't know what the official home country is going to be. There's also an American studio involved, so maybe it won't be eligible for this. Uh, unclear. Um, but it is going to be uh, German um, in the in the German language. So I don't know if that's going to... Yeah, so I looked this up. Zone of Interest, which if you haven't heard us talk about this movie before, is based on a Martin Amos novel. R.I.P. Oh, true. Yes. And that, yeah. Uh, and it's about a fan, the, the kind of everyday life of a family that's living just a Nazi family that's living just outside of Auschwitz. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is a co-production between three countries, U S UK and Poland. Um, 
it looks Much like, like the allied powers. Yeah, it looks like um, everyone's considering this a UK bid, but obviously we won't know until the countries sort of put forth their Oscar bids. Um, right. People are assuming it's going to be the UK because Brian Glazer is the director is British, uh, but it was shot in Poland, I believe. So like a lot, there are other people in another camp that are like, well, if it was shot in Poland, and Poland in theory like is the closest to the actual content of the movie like you know like it's um so people are thinking it might be from that country but we'll see yeah. but either way i think it, it's probably enough i don't i don't think it being a third u.s production will, would disqualify it that i don't know that's what I, i'm not certain it, what the rules are on that uh that would have required more research before we recorded a podcast episode about this. I will tell you, it's Jonathan Glazier who directs it. Brian oh, Glazier is oh, Ron Howard's production partner. That's right. Uh, at Imagine. <laughs> I knew I was going to get that wrong at some point. <laughs> it's it's tough. There's it's it's maybe maybe too many Glaziers. I don't know. Um, and then Palm d'Or, the first place was Anatomy of a Fall, which uh, is uh, a a movie from from France about uh, a. Sort of a, a trial. It's a courtroom movie uh, investigating whether um, a a man's death uh, falling off of uh, a balcony or out a window uh, it was murder, uh, and his his wife is uh, at least it's an, it's an inquest. I don't know if it's like a full trial, um, but it's a it's a courtroom uh, proceeding. And uh, there was a recent trailer for it, which which we didn't bring up in movie news because we we're going to get to it uh, here. And it looks absolutely killer. And everyone, when it aired at Cannes, everyone was like, this movie was amazing. And, you know, it looks great. It looks really good. Very excited. Yes. So this one's for the tr- all the true crime crime junkies out there. That's what I've heard. Is that like like any good true crime story that it really has you on the edge of your seat the entire time? And in particular, that that Sandra Hewler, who is the the female lead, she's the 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 wife who's like on trial. She's suspected of murdering her husband. Like, apparently, she is like really good at playing the ambiguity, where you're like, I really don't know if she did it <laughs> mm-hmm. until you find out. So, um, so I'm super excited about this. I love any sort of like procedural true crime courtroom drama story and so the fact that this is a very good one um has me exercised the tra- yeah the trailer looks amazing the trailer the trailer really did make it look like it's going to have all the things that someone who enjoys a true crime story would want of mm-hmm. like clues that we can then try to piece together or like red herrings or things that look bad but maybe are different we find out later that they're di- you know, like it, it looks like it has everything that you would want from a story like this so i'm really yeah. excited about it uh, yeah, to to clarify, it's not true. It is a fictional story, but yes, that same sort of true crime uh, murder mystery instinct. Yeah, uh, but but yeah, done. Uh, looks like well, it's done it, really it well. It clearly seems inspired by actual true crime stories. Yes, true. The actual events, staircasey right. type events yeah. that have happened. Uh, so you know, this feels to me like the movie that is in line for the parasite or. Life is beautiful, where it's like, ah, like I'm the foreign movie, I'm the or the international movie, um, that, but I'm actually also in like above the line categories mm-hmm. in the main competition, uh, and I'm gonna really kind of and all quiet in the Western Front, of course, uh, last year also doing this, where it's like, but I'm shoring up uh, international features, so I feel like without without you know only people that can having seen it, I feel like Anatomy of a Fall is an early 
uh, leader of the pack. So here. this might be a good time to segue into my list of nominees I, that I'm predicting. Please. I actually do not have Anatomy of a Fall on this list. And I'll, oh, I'll, damn. I'll, do you think France goes in a different direction? Yes. Yeah, so, so every year, a country messes this up. Uh, <laughs> it seems like to me. Uh, and so like, you know, last year we said it was India didn't choose RR and everyone was sad. Uh, so the I had read that the director of Anatomy of a Fall, Justine Trier, in her acceptance speech for the Palme d'Or, apparently criticized the French government Uh-oh. for some pension reform policy or something like that. Something about pensions in France. Um, I think there were strikes about that earlier in the summer. Okay, that I makes don't sense. Understand it, but I think it was a big deal. Yes. So yeah, it's a bit, yeah. This seems like a big deal, and so so there's a lot of speculation that if France is choosing which film goes up, they're not going to appreciate what she said in her acceptance speech, and they're going to go another way. And if they do go another way, they are going to choose what was formerly called Potafo. It is now called The Taste of Things, which to my knowledge is like a really, really well done comfort movie that shows lots of tasty cooking. So <laughs> the great French Bake Off. Yes. Like, or, but, uh, but with like a relationship drama thrown in, right? Like, so like it, it's, it sounds like the movie is legitimately good, but in terms of, again, we go back to our thing we were talking about in the rhetorical situation. If we're thinking about all these extra contextual factors it seems like this is the type of movie that France would choose to represent itself to the rest of the world. <laughs> mm. um, and is much safer choice than anatomy of a fall potentially. So, um, so that's why I have that. So I have zone of interest as my number one, because regardless of which country decides to take that one, um, it has so much buzz that it's gotta be in here. Uh, the taste of things from France instead of anatomy of a fall. And people are going to be really upset about this. Uh, Love it. My third choice is Evil Does Not Exist from Japan. So this is uh, Reisuke Hamaguchi's newest film. So if you recognize his name, he was the director of Drive My Car, uh, which got a Best Picture nomination the year it came out. Um, and it's a masterpiece. Yes, it is amazing. Uh, and this one is described, I don't really know the what the actual premise is, but it's been described as a climate change thriller. I want to say, or like some climate environment, some environmental thriller potentially. So I think that made me think like, oh, this is very Academy friendly um, because it's got a, so- it's got a clear social issue <laughs> probably. <laughs> um, and it's from a director that's already been nominated. Um, not just in this category, but it for best picture. So, so yeah, I'm there. And then I have El Conde from Chile, um, which this movie sounds almost too weird to get nominated but it's from Pablo Lorraine, um, mm-hmm. who did, I mean, most, most people probably would know him from last year. Um, did Spencer actually get Spencer? Actually, two years ago. Just two years ago. Okay. He did Spencer the, the, with and Jackie. and Jackie. Jackie actually got not one of those got nominated. Well, right? uh, Kristen Stewart got nominated. They both, the actresses both got but the nominated. Films, I don't know if the, the films did not. I don't know if the movie did. Okay. That sounds right. That it was like a performance got spotlighted, but the movie didn't yeah. really do anything else. Um, anyway, so so this movie is about, um, and I'm going to get pronunciation wrong probably, Pinochet, the 
yeah, dictator Augusto Pinochet is actually a vampire in this movie. Yeah, I, I'm not certain because I also this was the other I had this sort of bubbling as like my surprise pick or um, it's no surprise to Jen, but like outside of my top three, which the third movie in my top three would not make it uh, based on uh, the the country rules that we've already talked about because I, I I was thinking that Japan would pick the boy and the heron. Uh, to try to get Miyazaki something if it can't get animation. But you're right. They might go with um, the Hamaguchi movie instead. Um, but yeah, the I, I can't tell if the uh, the El Conde movie is set when Pinochet was a dictator and that he is a vampire or if it's set in the future and Pinochet has lived another 200 years uh, after being a dictator and is just like, I'm just, I just want to die. But the <laughs> setup is that he is a vampire who can't, who cannot die. Right. Uh, and, and wants to, and either that's why he's a dictator or it's the fallout of him being a dictator, but it's this dark comedy. It actually kind of has like the, the, the description of it has Taika Waititi vibes to me, um, which yep. is interesting, but I think based on both Jackie and Spencer, it might be a lot weirder and a lot less funny yes. than that. It's going to be a lot bleaker and and And, and more hallucinatory. Um, right. More surrealist. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Either way, it sounds really interesting. Um, I'm down. And then my last pick is, and this is purely based on just like all the critics who saw this, I believed it premiered at Cannes. Loved it. About dry grasses from Turkey, I believe. I don't have my list open now. Yes. Because uh, I was looking up the premise. I'm like, I don't remember what this one's about. A young teacher hopes to be appointed to Istanbul after mandatory duty at a small village. So that sounds pretty Oscar friendly to me. Um, yeah. So those are those are my picks. I think I was really excited. So to go back to our, our hype episode, I had draft I think like smuggle drafted La Camera. Um because <laughs> at like instead of Indiana I think I had mentioned it <laughs> when yes. I when I drafted Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Um because uh, it's right. also the same, the same movie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um but this are so the reason I didn't put this on my list is because it's it already premiered and it's gotten kind of like either mixed reviews or just like no one's talking about it. Um, so, you know, this could be Italy's pick, but I don't know if it would get nominated. Like it could, because it has um, the cast is, is would be recognizable to an American audience. But other than that, mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure it has what it takes. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think the only other movie, which was mentioned briefly is fallen leaves, which is a Finnish um, movie that was the the third place that that third place yeah. winner. I didn't uh, put that because that sounds like more of like a rom com. I don't mean that in a derogatory way, but it, it in terms of right. like something that would get nominated for best international feature, yeah. it didn't seem quite it, to it, fit. Yeah, they, they you know all these countries submit their choose their their individual submission a short list is formed that's always the sort of wonky thing of like what um uh how exactly does that happen uh, and then uh and then it's voted based on there so yeah sometimes some of those movies that might not seem as important or as just as, not big uh, yeah yeah or dramatic yeah, big get, and dramatic yeah. kind of, you know, fall fall up fall to the wayside all right so but i'm interested in fallen leaves yeah same 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 i'll say uh best documentary feature 
So I'll just go through my list to get us started. So I have the Michael J. Fox documentary still, uh, which premiered at Sundance and everyone seemed to love. I have not heard a bad thing about it. So I mm-hmm. think that's pretty good to get in here. Uh, the Deepest Breath. Usually there's a Netflix documentary that ends in here, like a nature documentary. Like My Octopus Teacher, I feel like, is the the most famous one or infamous one. Um, and I believe this is like a deep sea diving movie. Um, okay. And then The Eternal Memory, which is about Alzheimer's. Um, which, you know, like, just based on this, oftentimes documentary feature... The ha- ha- it leans very heavy in its subject matter <laughs> so that's partly why I put it in there um, uh, Beyond Utopia which is about the uh, border between North and South Korea uh, which I've heard great things mm-hmm. I think that also might have premiered at Sundance so Sundance is a pretty good launching pad for documentaries and this last spot I had a bunch of ones that I was toying with but ultimately I was listening to Next Best Picture podcast and they mentioned that there's a documentary that I think is going to be at TIFF. I wish I'd written down which film festival it's, they said it was going to be at. Um, but it's about, it's a doc, it's called The Pigeon Tunnel. And it's about the author of Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, um, mm. John Le Carré. Is that how, okay. Um, and they kind of describe this as like a sleeper entry. Like no one's talking about it right now, but it's going to, it probably get, once people see it, It'll probably be in the conversation. So, so those are my five other contenders. Where there's a, I think this also premiered at Sundance, a documentary about piano students <laughs> competing against each other called Piano Forte. Um, Little Richard had a documentary, though I was like, that one didn't seem to be as well received as the Michael J. Fox one when it came out at Sundance. So I was like, well, I think there's not room for both of them. Like, a, there's only room probably. for one celebrity bio bio documentary right and if it's not going to be if there's going to be two it's probably not the little richard one right wait which one are you thinking of well i was thinking the sylvester stallone one. Oh, that's right yes i didn't even have that on here um right yeah we'll see we'll see how good that yeah so the, yeah. so yeah there's a lot there's oversaturation in the celebrity documentary market right. <laughs> this year yeah um uh the, and, uh, the other one yeah. oh go ahead Sorry. no 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 you're good the other one that I had heard about from Sundance, which I don't know how particularly how good it is or if it has a lot of traction, is called King Cole, which is uh, about like life in Appalachia where, with coal miners, uh, and I think centered on a, a, a young-ish. I don't. I actually don't know how young the girl is supposed to be, but like the girl who dreams of doing something else, but like is surrounded by the reality of the coal mining world and also the sort of myths of like, you know, how like fundamental and important it is for, you know, for America in that Joe Manchin style of uh, coal being still, still so crucial. So, uh, so that, you know, that seemed like certainly like could be very relevant and is something that if it uh, gets some traction could, could get some attention. All right. We ready for score? Yeah. Let's do it. Uh, um, so, yeah, in terms of score, I mean, you know, we're now that we're sort of moving away from those first few are just kind of like, yeah, I don't know, movies. <laughs> like, they're their own kind of thing. They're little nubs of uh, of separate movies. Now it's like, 
you know, the, the, the wider scope of movies, but it really, a lot of it does sort of end up dependent on, you know, the quality of movies we haven't seen yet in terms of what's come out that I feel like, all right, like this has a, uh, a almost like guaranteed spot. Uh, I think uh, Ludwig Göransson's score for Oppenheimer is, is locked in. Um, you know, the, even the people who, uh, maybe, you know, had issues with Oppenheimer or or thought, you know, it went on too long or it was boring. We're like, oh, well, like the parts of the score were absolutely incredible. And uh, it's very omnipresent. It's 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 doing a lot of work. There's a lot of music there. So, uh, you know, that's always uh, necessarily uh, the way that something has to be picked. But I think that, you know, to to begin opening the door for the possibility that oh, Oppenheimer could be that movie that gets 10, 11, 12, 13 nominations. Um, you know, I think score is in the top like five of nominations that it's going to secure early as it starts to move forward. Yeah, I was going to um, say we're probably going to have a lot of repeat repeat nominees from here on out for that reason, yeah. just because of the, bar- um, the whole Barbenheimer factor. <laughs> right. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I have... Uh, a couple of things that I would love to get nominated from movies that have already come out. Um, I, I will say the the two that to me feel like, you know, two that haven't come out yet that again, we haven't heard it, but I feel like they're, they're still going to be locks are Dune part two. Um, Hans Zimmer one for the, the first Dune movie. Let, run it back. Let's do it again. Maybe it will feel like, you know, more of the same or it will be, you know, well, he already got an award and this could be a, a general problem for Dune Part 2 in the technical categories. Maybe it's been there, done that, and it won't get nominations, but I would assume he's probably in pretty good shape uh, for getting an award. Nuh-uh. Uh, I also think that if if uh, Ludwig and Oppenheimer are the front runner currently, um, I think if I had to place a bet on someone... Uh, again, uh, sight unseen, note unheard uh, for the actual score. Uh, it would be the score for Killers of the Flower Moon because that was written uh, by Robbie Robertson of the band who recently passed in the right. last week or two. Um, so as a sort of posthumous, uh, here's here's for all the good work you've done. Here's for all the collaborations you've done in the past with Martin Scorsese. Um, even if Killers of the Flower Moon kind of fades into the Irishman, the Fablemans of the movie that everyone is assuming is a front runner, but actually just kind of, <laughs> you know, withers oh. out by the time. I feel like because that happened with the Irishman, that can't happen again, right? We're going to get there. Okay. Uh, right. I, I think I think it might be Marty's time again. We'll see. Um, that That's one of the narratives. That's one of the intertwining narratives. But I, I think that the, 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 you know, oh, we can award this movie you know, if, especially if Killers of the Flower Moon isn't going to get a lot else, um, it might be a, let's get it something and let's get Robbie Robertson this posthumous award. Um, so, um, so yeah, I kind of had those three as locked in for sure. We also have two scores this year from Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Um, they do, they're going to do the, the score for the Fincher movie, The Killer. Uh, and also, surprising me i didn't realize this was happening until the credits rolled uh they do the credits scores for the ninja turtles movie mutant mayhem uh, and it's great it's absolutely wonderful um so you know i feel like it's possible one of those two could get it um we've got you know again spider-verse uh i you know, i have to again i'm in i'm in the dark i haven't seen it but i'm, I'm assuming from what i've heard it's good the score is incredible um and if that movie's starting to get some momentum it could move over Thomas Newman has a lot of 
you know, sort of, he's a guy who's always around. He's did elemental that could work for him and, you know, potential, like, you know, he doesn't need it. He hasn't, you know, he's won plenty of awards, but he's been nominated so many more times. Is there a, this might be the last hurrah for John Williams for the Indiana Jones movie. Do they, do they at least get him the nomination? Uh, right. To, the only reason to I didn't him. do that was because I feel like we've done that more than one time before. Sure. And so I think people are just done. They're going to be like, he's good now. I think that's my Maybe. prediction. Um, Can we get him to 60 nominations? Sorry. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I had a very similar list. So I had Oppenheimer, Killers of the Fire Room, Dune Part 2, Elemental, which actually I could say, like, you know, I was pretty lukewarm on the movie. It was fine, uh, but I didn't love it. Uh, but the score actually was really good. Uh, and I have The Killer because I think people are going to be like, Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross, yes. If they cho- have to choose between Turtles and a David Fincher serial killer movie, I think they're going to go for The Killer. Right. Um, so... Also, I don't think there's room for two animated movie scores in here. Mm, that seems weird. Fair. So that's kind of how I arrived at my my opinion. But I think this is solid. I don't think we need to hash this out anymore. That seems good. But do you, uh, but you think Elemental will be over Spider-Verse in terms I of do Newman factor? But, yeah, because it's Thomas Newman. Yeah. I think Thomas Newman is a bigger bigger name than Daniel Pemberton, even though he's done good stuff. So. Um, but yeah, if there were an upset to my predictions, that would that would probably be it. it would be Spider Verse knocking out one of these. But I totally I, agree. I, know I totally agree that the first three you mentioned are are as close to a lock one. as we can have at this point. Yeah, I I also again to 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 preview the Barbenheimer of it all. I'm like, there were so many songs that were important in Barbie. I was like. But I remember feeling like, oh, the score is good too. Like, the score really captures like the vibe. But I don't know if there it was prominent enough. To, you know, again, right. I think the songs are going to overshadow, and this is probably a good segue into the next category. But the songs I think are going to overshadow the score. It is. I will just note we have Ferrari, also Daniel Pemberton, on here, just in case that becomes really good and gets nominated. We've said it uh, on our episode. It's all, we're on the record. <laughs> yeah, I can see. So, like, I I think Ferrari has a lot of potential, Oscar potential. But I, for score in particular, I feel like it's probably going to be one of those things where if there's a sweep happening, it gets swept up in the, in the hype for the movie generally. But I don't think just like, I don't really picture just the score for that, but I haven't seen the movie obviously. So I'm right. <laughs> don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, I, I, this is going way too long and we should probably cut this, but I do want to say this. Do you know who has seen that movie? Who? The handyman that um, Jasmine and I used a few times who no longer talks to us because we're not famous enough to talk to him. He ended up getting booked for a job at Anna Kendrick's house. And through Anna Kendrick, he now only works with like famous rich people Whoa. in the Hollywood Hills, in Beverly Hills. And one of the people he did something for was Michael Mann. who was Man. like, do you want to come over to my house and see this new movie I did? Because I'm showing it to like eight people and I want to know what your opinion is. And so he saw it. He was like, it's good. He's like he's a nice, perfectly nice guy from I think Poland or, or wow. Croatia, and he was just like I don't know I don't really watch a lot of movies, but it was good. <laughs> and, hand- and he's really nice. And he's the hand- and then he stopped talking to us. <laughs> he's handyman to the stars. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's, anyway. a, wow, that's a great story. I love it. So yeah, according to Adam, our, the, our former handyman, Ferrari, good. <laughs> okay, so best original yeah. song. I actually had a really hard time with this and went through many YouTube videos 
to try to come to some kind of decision. And then I just got sucked into like enjoying a lot of the, the songs. And so, um, but here's the thing. Everybody's saying Billie Eilish Barbie song. But I need, I need <laughs> Ryan Gosling versus Jack Black in this yeah, category. Look, I need it. <laughs> this this is the this is the thing that gets the what the the, the two the two butterflies, whatever the song from Encanto Dos is instead of, Yeah. We need to talk about Bruno. Like wild. Like that's mm-hmm. let that, that's not be crazy, folks. Like and there can be multiple songs from one movie. We could have the Billie Eilish. Billie Eilish has her Oscar. Put her aside. Right. She Ryan just Gosling. won. She just won just for can. a James Bond movie. Like yeah. for an, a pretty good James Bond song. Yeah. So it was fine. But but the thing is, like everyone keeps saying that the what what was I made for? I believe is the name of the song is just the type of song that gets into this category right. over all the other ones. So, but again, I'm just Ken needs to happen. I actually really like the Dua Lipa song from Barbie as well, and the Pink so- and the Lizzo song. Um, wow. Though I don't think anyone wants to go near Lizzo right now. So yeah, I don't, know. <laughs> I don't think Lizzo's that's going to happen votes. anytime soon. But um, no, she, I think she has been hired for Chicken Run too. However, (laughs) no, I'm just kidding. Oh, that would be funny if like it's if they would construct an entire cast out of like canceled people. Um, (laughs) Yes. uh, Anyway, so so I I have I'm just Ken and Peaches from Super Mario Brothers, Mm -hmm. uh, which my kids still sing and ask for me to play in the car. Um, So and I think I'm picturing See, I really was like selfish when I was putting together my list for this category because I was like, I was like down to programming the Oscar ceremony. I was like, look, we have a sing off between Jack Black and Ryan Gosling where they both sing these songs. There's some kind of weird mashup. Like, let's ha- let's make this happen. Um, who doesn't want that? Amazing. Anyway, so the other thing. The, the other three nominees, presumably. Oh, that's true. <laughs> well, it would be just them as like the opening number or something right. like that, right? Like that's what I was picturing. And then everyone else can have their own slot. Um, but anyway, so but just just imagine both of them hamming it up at each like at each other aggressively. I need Wonderful. that. I need that in my life. Um anyway, also like the songs are actually very good. <laughs> that's yes, the thing. Important. And that probably means that one of them or both of them will not be nominated. Yeah. But you know, I I will just say La La Land. Uh, and uh, Slumdog Millionaire immediately jump out to me. I know there are others as you know, movies that had prominent music components to it and were, you know, uh, highly nominated uh, uh, frontrunner movies. One famously won, one maybe more famously didn't win Best Picture. Uh, and, you know, there's no reason that the two songs from Barbie can't be nominated. Okay. Like, I, I think that both of them could get there. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's something that I think we can make happen. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm just Ken is like the thing again, it's, it's the, we, it's the Bruno of, of this movie. Right. And, and I think that we have more than enough time to make sure we don't screw this up. Again. <laughs> um, all right. The rest of my list was, you know, the musicals, if there's a musical happening in any given year, usually a song from that ends up on here. So the color purple undoubtedly will have an original song so the color purple in case you're not aware listeners is it's not just a remake of the of the movie or like just an adaptation of the novel it is an adaptation of the broadway musical based on the novel so Mm -hmm. inevitably they're going to write some new song for this so it can get in here i think um 
And then I have uh, the wish, like the titular wish from Disney's Wish. <laughs> and, and this is why I ended up watching the trailer so many times, because I was like, I need to hear the song. And there's not really enough of it in the trailer for me to decide one way or the other musically if it needs to be in here. But I feel like if there's a big Disney movie, if it does well, again, if it does well, um, then I think that that is pretty has a spot in here if it wants it. And then this last one. <laughs> get ready folks is gonna be you the dolly parton song from 80 for brady oh nice hear me out hear I me like out that. Um, no, i like that pick. so i think i can't take full credit for this i saw this on a bunch uh, like at least one person's list i can't remember whose um maybe it was i think it was next best picture where like a bunch of the because they do they do a consensus list on their website and they also do like in, there's like 10 of them that work on for the for next best picture and like they each do their individual lists for each category and so i think it was it was like this came up more than once and i was like really and then i went and watched the music video and it is two things one is exactly the type of song that ends up getting nominated for an oscar it's like like generic forgettable but somehow catchy earwormy anthem like it's yeah it's just it's the exact type of song that will get nominated and then no one will remember afterwards. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> Wait, do, do you mean like traveling through from Transamerica the last time Dolly Parton was nominated oh, for an Oscar? I had also I had forgotten that. Um, sure. <laughs> uh, but here's the other thing. If you go watch the YouTube video of the music video, it is Dolly Parton and three other Famous musical artists of the same age. Oh. All wearing, including Gloria Estefan. All wearing Patriots jerseys. Wow. Just like, that could be just like the movie. Um, and so that's just, the, as I was watching this, it was, I was just like, this, this is the type of thing that is like such a train wreck and so cheesy that it, it has to get nominated. It just has to. The other thing too is that like I would love for this to get nominated to force Greg, who's our Oscar completionist, to watch 80 for Brady. Which I'm gonna tell you, I've seen 80 for Brady. Wait, really? It's it's, it's pretty good. Wait, what? like it's not it's not like it's not like great. Maybe maybe it's not good. It, I mean, it's a movie. With like, you know, it's like a later, a current day version of Grumpy Old Men, where it's just like, you know, these actors, they're all old now, and now they're in a comedy together. Like, and they're just kind of like okay. making all these jokes. Now, does it help that I, I have, I'm from New England, and so I, I like the fact that they're all rooting for the Patriots, and they all kind of like remind me of old women I know who love the Boston sports? Sure. The people who don't like Tom Brady. Um, that I feel like that would honestly be the biggest, like... The, a, the fact the movie came out like January 4th, it feels like. And so it's been a while uh, and it may not be remembered uh, by the by the time we get to the season. Uh, and people who just hate Tom Brady and and his football teams, the Patriots and Tampa Bay, uh, will potentially hold them back from it. But like, it's a, it's a perfectly cute, it's, it's, it's a movie that I could enjoy because I'm just like, oh, I can picture my parents watch that when it got on peacock and they they thought it was very cute and i was like then therefore i thought it was cute like <laughs> it's it, in in this house I, I i won't say who watched it there was it was like the book club part two there's like a sequel to the book club which yeah, is also the like there's this there this is a whole genre of movie is that 
famous, acclaimed, probably shouldn't be in these movies, actresses who are of a certain yeah. age that they've grounded up together to be goofy. And I granted, right. I haven't seen any of them. I do enjoy listening to Amanda Dobbins on the, on the big picture. I think it was the book club too. She just basically shared the entire, ran through the entire plot play by play. Yeah. So I, I watched 80 for Brady and then the book club too unfolded while I existed in the same room as it. I won't say I watched it, but like <laughs> 80 for Brady was like remarkably better. Okay. So right. I was like, Oh, I think this is like, be- like this was like actually like humorous yeah. uh, in, in many ways. Uh, so anyway, that said, it would be great if Greg had to watch it. I mean, he, um, maybe and- he already has now that I'm, now that you're saying this, I don't, I just, mm-hmm. I assume that he wouldn't have, but, but in full disclosure listeners, all three of us have strong ties to the new England area, either growing yeah. up there or living there currently. Uh, so like, yeah, or both. Uh, I I, um. I could be the annoying person who like leaned over and was just sort of like they're talking about Julian Edelman, like to, <laughs> to give like the background info on the sports jokes that were happening. Yeah. Um, which I think I so I, need, I might need to be there for Greg as well. Anyway, there are enough people oh, who are anti Tom Brady that I feel like the second this movie gets nominated, it's going to be a thing and it's going to be great. But I think more people who are pro Dolly, and she has actually mm. been nominated twice for two different songs. Sure. Nine to five somehow didn't win. Uh, I don't have an answer for that. Um, for how that could have happened. Yeah. Um, but like there could be that that could be a oh she's due, right? Like it's time. Let's let's get let's get her a And who wouldn't want her performing live at the Oscars? Like, come on. No, with with Jack Black and Ryan Gosling? <laughs> come on. Uh I, I will say in, in the defense of the Academy, nine to five, an amazing song from an amazing movie, uh, did lose to fame from the movie fame, oh. which is also a pretty solid song. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, a tough and beat. You can't, yeah. That, that's, you know, whatever. Um, this is a great list so, of songs. I'm sorry. I didn't put Diane Warren on here. Well, that's so yeah, the two things I had on, on our sheet that you didn't mention generic Diane Warren song un unconfirmed. She has one. I'm just assuming she will. So there's a, I did some digging on this there. It's, there's two possibilities. Though I didn't look look further to fact check one of them uh, or see if it like if it actually was a thing. So I read it. I found an article that said that she was going to do the the, the main song for the Flaming Hot Cheetos movie, which is out. Oh. I haven't seen. Yeah, um, but then I but then I was like, why aren't people? But then people who have her in their predictions have untitled Diane Warren documentary. So apparently it's a right. documentary that she might be working on. So I was like, I, I, I'm like, if she already wrote a Flaming Hot Cheetos song, why is that not the thing that we're... I, I think that might just be basing it on the assumption that like her last like five or six nominations have been from documentaries. Okay. And that basically she's just pumping out songs right, and then right, right. documentary filmmakers are coming to her and being like, do you want to do a song? <laughs> yeah. And then she's just like, yeah, give me... Some, I'll put some lyrics on the music I've already written and we'll figure it out. Um, and the other thing I'll say, and I think you you had a key phrase when you were talking about um, Wish from the movie Wish, based on the wishes uh, of people <laughs> in the past, uh, that uh, you know, if that movie is successful, then it may get a song nominated. I, I think that if there isn't another sort of successful movie that comes out and, and, uh, and grabs it, there's still the possibility that Disney might try to... Uh, push for one of the new Little Mermaid songs because there were 
think two or three. I didn't see the new Little Mermaid. I didn't hear, hear really anything good about the new Little Mermaid. However, it's it's Mencken and uh, Lin Manuel Miranda, and Lin is still chasing the egot. And so, you know, is there is there some like grasp at hope that uh, he'll he'll be able to sneak in the door and then maybe build some momentum, right. especially when potentially Ryan Gosling and Jack Black cannot. Uh, campaign uh, when the time comes for for their song. True. Uh, so I have seen The Little Mermaid. It was, my short take is, uh, it was not as bad as I thought. It still does not justify his existence. But, you know, my daughter, when we were leaving the theater, was singing the, like, Ariel gets her voice back refrain, which I'm not going to try to sing. <laughs> Um, as we're leaving the theater and she sings it all the time and it's because she saw that movie it's not because of the original animated movie which she has technically seen but I don't think that's why she sings the the ah right Um, anyway so here's the thing with this is that I was like I can kind of see the scuttlebutt song (laughs) getting in here which you haven't seen the movie so you don't know what that is but Aquafina basically does a Lin-Manuel Miranda rap which, mm. to be honest, as much as I love Lynn Mammal Miranda and as much as I love Aquafina, because I know she's not for everybody, but like, I love both of them. But it really sounds like a song that Lynn Mammal Miranda wrote in his car on the way to something else. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, <laughs> it's just, 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 yeah, it's, it's, it's not good. Um, he, went, he went deep in the archives of rejected <laughs> materials from one of his real shows. Right. It was like, no, uh, it's really just him riff, riffing on the word scuttlebutt. And like making pun, like bad puns and stuff, which I adore bad puns, but like it's just, it just feels, it, it really does feel like it did not get his full attention. Um, Lin, Lin Manuel Miranda's version of Chopping Broccoli. Yes. <laughs> but like I can see it getting in just because of Lin, the Lin Manuel Miranda factor. And like it would be fun to have Aquafina performing it probably at the Oscars. Um, but here's the thing is that I actually think the other song that would be new. Or the, actually, there are two other songs, but one of them, Wild Uncharted Waters, is actually legitimately good, like from a Broadway mm. musical perspective, like I, at least I thought. Um, and the guy who plays Eric, whose name I can't remember now, I should have written it down. Um, he actually was quite good. Uh, and the the best thing that the, the Little Mermaid movie does, and I've already talked too long about the Little Mermaid, but the best thing that the, this movie does, but we didn't do a separate review of it, so this is the only time I'm going to be able to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, this is where we get to slide in our, our <laughs> short, medium takes. Um, the best thing about the Little Mermaid in terms of new material is that it fleshes out Eric as a character a lot. Like it actually makes mm-hmm. him like a like a a, a a real human and likable, and like you understand why he and ariel would be together like it makes like that part is is that's the best contribution that movie makes i think and that's the wild uncharted waters is his song so that's my that's my shout out (laughs) the little mermaid Um, yeah again i I think it would be composer a composer narrative or like can we get these two guys especially miranda uh, an award but i think that's only if they're like uh the Alan Macon song much more likely to get nominated over that is uh, the, oh, what's it called? It's like one for the first time, something like that. I don't know. It's, it's like an aerial song. That's like a much more, mm. makes more sense. <laughs> right. 
Um, and then what I was going to say is, you know, if say Killers of the Flower Moon has a song from Robbie Robertson that's like played over the credits, oh, like there, there might be something like that we don't even know yep. about that is going to like, you know, one of these movies that is in the conversation is going to have something that will pick up some momentum. So we don't know. Okay. All right. Production design. Uh, I've got Barbie Oppenheimer mm-hmm. killers of our moon. Again, yeah. these are familiar now. Uh, Dune part two and poor things because one from the trailer production design looks gorgeously wacky and it's period and it's period, which is always a plus in the craft categories. Like, design product production design and costume period but also fantastical yeah, at yeah, least yeah. at some points they're in some weird floating world that uh that exists that's uh, you know is that real is it a dream i don't know but it looks yeah it looks incredible uh especially on what seems to be a relatively low budget movie so i think that's a great shout um the other the other four you know that it kind of feels like well that's chalk but like i don't know like wh- who knocks who knocks any of them out uh, again, we, we haven't seen Dune 2. It's not coming out, guys. Or Killers of the Flower Moon. But like, you know, I don't I don't know. Uh, you know, there's there's the only other ones that I even had as possibilities like Napoleon, big historical epic. You know, if that gets some momentum, uh, you know, could that could that come in down here? I, I wouldn't expect it to, but you know, maybe. And similar for the color purple, I think you know. Again, it's it's if these movies start to uh, be juggernauts or start to really like get some uh, get some headwinds, uh, will they will they get a, a craft category like this as well and sweep out something like Poor Things or you know I don't know. I I, I really think Barbenheimer is going to be unbeatable, not unbeatable in terms in of this winning category in particular, but in terms of nominations in this category. I, yeah, Pretty Barbies, right? Yeah, it's like, Barbies to lose for sure. Yeah, um, I, I do. We do have on here, and I think we need to do it. Like just an asteroid city shout out. Uh, very strange how how infrequently Wes Anderson movies get looked at for production design. But I think that you know, and that's why I didn't put it in here based on historical yeah. like historical precedent. I was like, it should be in here. That's probably the one behind Barbie, maybe that I would pick the most personally. Yeah. It, it also feels just like. That movie's already kind of come and gone and forgotten. It has yeah. that French dispatch. Yep. Like, unfortunate. Like, people are just sort of like, okay. Uh, and, like, it's weird because now it's on whatever. It's either Paramount or Peacock is the service that has it. Uh, and I'm starting to get, like, see people just be kind of like, hey, Asteroid City. Like, this is pretty good. It's like, yeah, where were you? <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, but I think that there is there is still, like, that Wes Anderson arm's length uh approach to to telling the stories that that puts enough people off that he ends up ends up not working so yeah i i think that those those five are a great call. there's also only room for one movie that built an entire southwest city <laughs> so sorry asteroid city oppenheimer beat you to it right um, especially because as you know oppenheimer did it to look realistic right. asteroid city did it to look uh you know art with the artifice of it all I, I, um, I would love it if they both got nominated purely for the montage in which we put both of them back to back. It would be really funny. The, yeah, Jason Schwartzman looking at the atomic bomb and then cutting to the the test. Um, all right, so next we have costume design. Uh, you know, I only have the these four movies that w- uh, were put on the spreadsheet. 
uh, Barbie, again, it feels like it would have to be some sort of falling away of Barbie where everyone's just like, I don't know, we don't want to reward that for it to certainly not be nominated, if not to be the front runner. Um, I'm realizing, I mean, uh, you know, it, in the the zone of things that uh, we, we've already been talking about, Oppenheimer is not like particularly flashy, but it is a period piece with a lot of people in a lot of different scenes. Maybe uh, I, I wouldn't say like definitely for sure. Um, and uh, you know, uh, in terms of movies that haven't come out yet, Killers of the Flower Moon as the as the period piece, Napoleon, uh, big war movie, all the uniforms, that's good stuff. And I thought the color purple, um, just you know, again, if that has some momentum, that 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 has the sort of very specific uh, era and and uh, you know, subcultures that are going to be represented uh, in that movie. Um, and you know, Dune Part Two again, like I think won it in the past, but just if you want to have some of the fantasy stuff that's that's in there as well. Yeah. So that was six movies when I said I only had four. That's as okay. I started talking, I realized there were two more. That's fine. My but, five were Barbie, Killers of the Flower Moon, Poor Things, Napoleon, and Dune Part Two. So Dune Part Two, I really had to go all or nothing overall because I was like, well, either it's going to be a repeat where it just dominates in all these craft categories. I can't just put it for like one or two. Like I have to, if I'm going to put it at all, right, if it's going to do well, and have any Oscars traction, it's going to, be in multiple categories it won't napoleon is just too much of the type of period stuff that that this category eats up so regardless of that movie could be terrible and they would still could still get a costume design nomination so that's why i have that in there and then poor things it's just the again it's that the sort of like whimsy anything that is like really over the top looking I think could easily get in here. Um, yeah, and it has that sort of Victorian uh, vibe yeah. too. Yeah, and the only reason the I didn't have Color Purple or Oppenheimer in here was that it was not the this category always like favors period costumes, but less so the more modern you get. Right. And granted, Color Purple not that modern, but like 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 Oppenheimer is like almost too too contemporary <laughs> period <laughs> for for like they like this category historically really favors the like 18th 19th century costumes yeah i i agree i hear you uh yeah i hear you on that um my, my thing my my overall like feeling on dune part two this is not based on anything obviously uh except general vibes is i think it gets nominated for a ton of awards below the line like the one, uh, like the first one did, and then it wins almost none of them. That's my guess. Because I think, you know, right. other movies come in and take over, but then it's also possible the movie's great, everyone's excited about it, and it actually gets more, you know, could it be the everything everywhere that picks up, you know, a crooked number of awards that it will include some of these lower ones too? I don't know. All right. Next up is makeup and hairstyling. So I have poor things. I mean, if you just seen the trailer and see Emma Stone's face, <laughs> like that alone is going to get a <laughs> makeup nomination. Mm -hmm. uh, Maestro, regardless of whether or not you think the nose plays, the nose is the nose. So I think that's definitely getting in here. Um, and I, I also actually predict that the as long as the movie is decent enough, people are not going to care about the nose anymore. Like after a certain point, you know what I mean? Like, I think that discourse is going to fall away eventually. Um, I have Priscilla just because like 
there's going to be a lot of hair in that movie. <laughs> Probably. Um, and if it is going to get, I don't, I don't foresee Priscilla having a lot of traction because again, I think people are going to be like, we just did this with Elvis. Um, and regardless of how good it is. So, but I think it could get still get in here, even if that's the case. I uh, have doom part due again, like Austin Butler <laughs> haunting this category. I feel like for his makeup alone, right? Cause he's bald and has all the, if you haven't seen the, the, any of the promotional materials for doing part two, his character is bald and <clears throat> he's totally covered in like white makeup. So I think that alone could get it in here. And then my sneaky pick, uh, a movie that has not been well-reviewed, uh, but Golda, so this is the Golda Meir biopic with Ooh, Helen Mirren, yes. um, which I checked does not have good reviews. Like, I think it just came out. Um, but apparently her makeup is super good. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. I mean, and that's a great choice because there is always usually, I would say, one or two of those movies where it's just like, what? Yeah. Like, the Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, um, I was in costume design, where it's just kind of like, oh, like, yeah, I guess that makes sense without like necessarily any other statement or comment about the quality of the movie, good or bad, right. uh, beyond it. But just like, yep. That that did this thing, and it's in it's in that pocket, and it, it got the nomination for it. Yeah. So I was trying to think, like, okay, what's a movie that is not going to show up anywhere else, and everyone's going to be confused by, <laughs> or like have to go look yeah. up what it is. So that was my that was my pick for that one. Um, all right, VFX. I, I, you know, I go for it. Oh, I was just going to say, gonna I, I like those. I well, I will just, uh, I will just say, it's possible. Both, either of Barbenheimer could, if they're getting a lot of momentum here, they do have enough moments of makeup um, and and some you know hair hair components um, that those could sneak in. Will it overturn any of the ones you said? I don't know, but that's all. For sure. Um, all right. What are your thoughts on VFX? What are my this thoughts? is a weird category um, oftentimes because it's the place that blockbusters get into where they don't get in other places. Right. So that yeah. I was and trying to remember, remind myself of that as I was putting my list together. Yeah. Like usually this is where like the populist movies go where it's like, where it's like, Oh yeah, these are the ones that made a lot of money, but like, you know, the movies that made a lot of money this year, it's like, do they have a lot of VFX? Like, could you like, there's all the weird, like, you know, practical things that Nolan did for Oppenheimer, but like, would that generate a lot of interest in the visual effects thing? I don't think so. Like, I don't think that would get, there so you know I, mean? I had two movies on my list that fall into this category i think of like the anti vfx vfx <laughs> okay. where it's like the not digital or like like we did this ourselves so i have oppenheimer for that reason because i think even if okay. it's not cgi at all right which there isn't any in it i think it's all practical I believe. I think he said there's no CGI. Yeah. Like, is that true? Probably. Right. I, I guess know. I can trust. But, that. but I think like for a movie that is trying to draw a line in the sand and be like, we didn't use any CG. Right. I think the, 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 what it, they are able to accomplish visually, I think people are still going to nominate it. Um, right. At least that's my theory. It's going to be like a backlash to like CGI. <laughs> Cause CGI has sure. not, has not fared well in just public discourse recently. <laughs> for yes. various reasons um and then i also have dead reckoning part one for that same reason where it's going to be okay. like where it's going to be like oh you used effects to kind of like spruce up tom cruise doing death defying stunts right um, like this we, we don't have a stunt category but 
we can reward all the ways that you, yeah, worked worked around these yeah. things. Um, I mean, I'm in favor of that for sure. <laughs> I didn't think that they would actually do it. Yeah, um, they might but, not. But I think but I, like I wanted that. to go. I wanted to go on a limb and be like, I think that's that this cat nominations that this category are gonna make a statement. Um, mm-hmm. And so I also the other ones I have are Dune Part Two. Seriously, stop talking about Dune. More traditional. I have Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three because legitimately the the VFX in that is very good. Um, with all the like, and it's like a good mix of like you know the alien people, animal people. Some of them have actual costumes. Some of them are CGI. I think it's a good mix. Um, you know, animating Baby Rocket alone, I feel like deserves an Oscar. Right. <laughs> no, I mean, and I think that that is, I mean, that's the only. A tradi- traditional effects heavy blockbuster this year like yeah, it's mario yeah, that actually did well going to be a visual effects and then barbie and oppenheimer yeah just in terms of the highest grocers yeah. that's you know all the other ones have kind of faded or it's not flopped. gonna be the flash flash is not getting in here it's not gonna be, um no. the v of x in that i thought were like extra terrible <laughs> Really- yeah, and, and you know, I, to to continue our workers' rights yes. solidarity thing, a lot of those is because the studios and you do a very bad job of how they line up the order uh, and the processing of things, and they right. demand that the uh, the artists that work on this right. uh, you know have turned around with very little deadlines, and they're all very good at their jobs, but they that doesn't mean the product ends up being good because of the choices that are made above their heads. Absolutely. So my my sleeper pick in here is Gareth Edwards, the creator. Okay. And that's because if you look at the trailer, there's just a lot of effects <laughs> uh, that they have to they have to use, and just like the animating of the all the robots and stuff like that. Like I think um, it looks good. So. Yeah, that's gonna be my like sne- my sneaky. That's my sneaky pick that people won't see coming. My 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 long shot picks. Um, one that uh, I haven't seen, but it's just sort of like if this has some traction, I could see this being a place it goes. Is Napoleon, where I think there there you know there is some of that like gladiator throwback of like oh these huge battles they got a lot of people, but they also augmented it with CGI stuff, and that um you know that's that that could be something where it gets in there. Um, if it's not terrible, because again, we don't know. Maybe it's terrible and no one cares. Uh, it's a or or it's great, but no one cares. It's another last duel. Uh, and then you know, if they're if they're casting around for like, well, I don't know, what's another thing that we could do? Why not Dungeons and Dragons? Colon Honor Among Thieves, uh, which you know, I feel like it was it didn't like fire up the box office necessarily, but. I, I feel like I don't know anybody who hasn't been like, that was fun. Like, I like that. Uh, and it was very effects heavy. I and mean, mm-hmm. the effects were, were good. Uh, and, They're you know, good enough. Big fantastical thing. I like the pudgy dragon. <laughs> yes. Unsurprised. Um, That's very on brand for me, I understand. But <laughs> yes. uh, no, I think that that, I think that makes sense. All right. We're going to pause here and leave all the big hitter categories for part two, a second episode. Can't believe we went this long. Although hashtag slash can believe we went this long. <laughs> yes. Because we always go this long. Um, so yeah, so you can you look you can look forward to our breakdown of the rest of the acting categories, best director, best picture, editing, cinematography in part screenplay. two and, and ep- screenplays. another and screenplays. Can't forget Sorry. those. 
We are a pro writing podcast. It's um, true. That was not a purposeful omission. <laughs> um, but in the meantime, PT, where can people follow the Long Take Review? Uh, they can follow us on Instagram at the Long Take Review, uh, and. Technically also on threads, but I, I haven't logged in on threads in a long time. But follow us on Instagram, send us a message, uh, and uh, look wherever you find your podcasts. Uh, you know, give us a give us a subscribe, uh, leave leave a rating and a review uh, if you would like to do that, because that would be great for us. Thanks. Uh, and you can find me at Subchakchai, S-O-P-C-H-O-C-K-C-H-A-I on Instagram and threads and Qui-Gon Jen on Letterboxd. Thanks for listening. To be continued. Thank you for listening. You can follow The Long Take on Substack at thelongtake.substack.com. Subscribe for free to receive reviews of films with Oscar buzz, as well as new films and series from pop franchises like Star Wars and Marvel. Yeah, somewhere in the beginning when we're like, we set we set up what we're going to do. I don't know if we get to like pop in. Like, it's us from the future. <laughs> <laughs> we, it's late and we, we talk too long and we realize we can't do all of this at one time. I think I might just use what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> Keep listening to all the awards you don't care about. Please. <laughs> the ones you do care about, we'll talk about it a little, some other time. Uh, we are delirious because we need to go to bed. <laughs> Yeah, Jen's gonna oh, teach please. in the morning. I really do. Oh, that's this was a bad plan. Um. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>